welcome to the 326th episode of the Random Podcast from Heck. My name is Tony and this is a podcast about random things in the world of entertainment, which includes movies, TV shows, and comic books. Big shout out to Dave McPhail and Andrew Loken. They are big supporters of the show. You can be a supporter by going to, to patreon.com slash gman from heck. Any amount you can commit to will be awesome. If you commit at the Rick Jones tier or higher, you, you get access to the, the secret podcast from heck. I apologize for this, which is an additional uh, secret podcast from heck, additional 30 minutes podcast entertainment every single week. And I've been doing this, it feels like forever. John Burns, X-Men, The Hidden Years. I got to move on sometimes. But as it, as with the classic Chris Claremont, you know, this is what I've, I feel like John Byrne is modeling off of, you know, from working with Chris Claremont for, for so long, is every single time, you, you know, there's dangling plot lines, just keeps continuing. So it's like, you got to keep going. So I'll talk about something else soon. If, if, if Unless you're really digging it, let me know. But if you can't commit to a monthly commitment, you can also help out by going to page to, to you can also help out by going to coffee.com slash gman from heck and you can buy me a virtual cup of coffee or two and that's ko-fi.com slash gman from heck all right what is the heck is my problem uh so this has been a crazy week i'm trying to get this podcast done because you know my goal is to do this every single dingle week and you know with this this is a 320 what six episode i think i just said so I want to make sure, you know, I, I'm, I'm committing to this. Full disclosure. So it's Thanksgiving week. I had the whole week off of teaching, which you would think, oh, yeah, Tony, you should be able to catch up on everything. My daughter also came back, came to town because, you know, she's, she's been out of town, you know, doing college stuff. So, of course, I, I missed the heck out of my daughter, as, as you can probably imagine. So there, there's been, you know, a lot of family time, you know, Thanksgiving, going, doing this, doing that. So even though I haven't been working, I haven't had as much time, but I'm, you know, again, trying to make time to do this. So how the sausage is made, I'm doing some parts of this out of order to just to try to, you know, cause I just try to squeeze some in. Like I'm, I'm going to be full, fully honest. And I, you know, I shouldn't be saying this cause it, you're pulling the curtain back, whatever, you know, Oz behind the curtains, but like the movie feature, I actually saw the movie Monday because it was Thanksgiving, the Thanksgiving movie. So I actually recorded that. Like that's like I think the first thing I recorded. So you know, I'm I'm trying to get everything done, and I'll edit, splice it all together. So you know, if you weren't listening to this, you could maybe almost think that I did it all in one sitting, but probably not because. <laughs> where I'm recording now, I'm not even going to say where I'm recording now, but it, it's it might sound kind of different. Because I'm I'm not and it's it's not it weather sounds I hope it doesn't sound really horrible, it might sound a little weird, but it's going to sound different from when I recorded the other part because I'm not in the same place. But I'm again dedicated to this. There's so much to watch. I thought I'd I'd I because of the week I I thought I'd be able to catch up on everything. But of course you know I want to spend time with my kid and, and family and stuff like that. What is going to happen this week? Um, let's see. The movie feature, as I mentioned, was Thanksgiving. Uh, I finally started watching Monarch and I don't know if I'm going to talk about, so I'm, I'm going to be a week behind normally, but I might be actually a little bit more behind. 
So they dropped two episodes the first week. Last last not this past Friday, not the Friday after not Black Friday after Thanksgiving, but the Friday before, they dropped two episodes and they dropped a third episode on Black Friday. So right now when if you're listening to this as soon as this comes out, there are three episodes out. I'm not sure if I'm going to do one or two or I'm going to kind of see how how my time goes when when I when I get to that. So but it it's good. I'm just going to say that right now. We got Doom Patrol almost finished with it this is it's such a good show man uh it's 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 crazy i'll talk more about that later we have um two more episodes of scott pilgrim what else we have we have rick and morty we have i feel like there's something else there's probably something else you it's in the description so you know what i'm not gonna waste all the time saying all that because let's just get to to the news not a whole lot of news with a, a Star Wars, I guess you know this is this is kind of big news. I mean, it's, it's not huge news, but Dave Filani, who has been doing some like amazing stuff, he's been doing amazing stuff for years, and it still blows me away when I look at it. It's like I interviewed this dude way back for for Clone Wars. I should like try to find that interview. I don't know if it's, I don't know if it's still accessible because some of the Comic Vine interviews aren't for whatever silly reason. But he has been um, he he's been been promoted to the CCO of Lucasfilm, so he's going to work directly with Kathleen Kennedy, and you know he he's been doing a lot of great stuff. I mean, Fair Watch, The Clone Wars, I mean, so good, uh, Star Wars Rebels, and you know just the, the all their stuff that he's done, Ahsoka. I mean, it, it's 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 amazing stuff. And the the other bit of news is what's going to happen with Ray Stevenson's character. So if you watch this Ahsoka, Balin Skull, he's such an intriguing character because I, you know, I want to know more about him. You know, there is stuff he he trained, or you know, he 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 was at the Jedi Temple, and he kind of went. Is he necessarily a Sith? He kind of went, you know, a little little dark. He's got the red saber and everything like that. But he and I th- I think it was it was it was uh, Dave Filani was saying that when they were talking when he was talking to him he's like so your character's a villain you know that right he's like no he's not and you know so it's, Ray Stevenson was kind of like arguing this is like it's like no you know there there's more to him than that or whatever what's gonna happen because if you watch Ahsoka it's like you know we we need to know more so Dave Filani said that they're kind of like in a wait and see pattern on on the future of his character because you know what are you gonna do about it because unfortunately sadly Ray Stevenson is no longer with us. You know, he, he passed on, you know, you could recast. I don't think they should try to CG, you know, I, I just, I, I don't know what they're going to do. And uh, also there's the fact that Ahsoka isn't like officially confirmed for a season two, you know, with, with the way things left, that kind of explains a bit like, well, how come you know, these characters aren't in, you know, mentioned anywhere. So yeah, well, I have to see about that. So that'll be interesting. To see what they they do, there is also apparently there is a rumor. I hadn't heard this. Oh, thank goodness, because this is kind of ridiculous. But I guess there was there was rumors of Katie's uh, Sackoff possibly replacing Pedro Pascal as the lead in the Mandalorian. In some ways, it kind of makes sense. Pedro Pascal. I mean, the guy he's he's like a hot commodity now. You know, he's he's got the Last of Us season two. They're gonna start working on that. Um, there's, he's supposedly in talks to be Mr. Fantastic and Fantastic Four. And, you know, he's supposed to be doing Mandalorian. So it's like, how the heck is he going to do all this? And, and who knows what else he's got 
lined up. But she's like, no, that, that's 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 not the case. You know, that, that's not happening. But she's like, you know, it, it it's it's the gin. You know, it, it's his show. And but she's like, it's it's not up to us as to who's the lead. You know, it's the higher ups that do that. But it's just, I mean, and and to be fair, we do need to see more about her character. And that's that's the nice, you know, the cool thing about these shows is is these characters become so important that. You know, this is a supporting character, and, and you want to know more. So, we'll have to see what's going to happen with that. Uh, Superman news: Nicholas Holt has been cast as Lex Luthor. Nicholas or Nicholas Holt? Yeah, Nicholas Holt. He's he's an amazing actor. I mean, he, you know, obviously he's he's done so much. You know, X Men First Class. Uh, he was in Renfield. The Menu. To see the Menu, if you haven't watched that yet. Um, so it's, but he's, he's usually, he's usually kind of a good guy. Maybe not necessarily in everything. So it'll, it'll be interesting to see him as, as Lex Luthor to see what, what he does with that. Also, Constantine 2. So Keanu Reeves, Constantine 2. The director, he's, he mentioned, he, what was he talking about for something else? But he, he was saying that it might still be possible. Uh, you know, with the, with the changes and, uh, you know, James Gunn coming over and everything like that, there's a lot of hurdles that had to be jumped over. And, you know, there's a fact that, you know, you had the Constantine movie, then there was a CW show, the NBC CW show. And then, you know, uh, was it J.J. Uh, Abrams was, was going to do something and everything. So it sounds like they're still kind of working on it. Uh, we'll, we'll see. Uh, you know, who you never, never know. Uh, then... Uh, <laughs> So Sophia de de Martin, so she played Sylvie in Loki, and she says that she would like to see Sylvie show up and in, in, in an MCU movie or two. Of course she would. Who doesn't want to get some of that movie money, right? But no, she's saying that there's a, a lot more to the character that could be explored, and you know she'd love to see more of that. And and I agree. And this is why when people are like, "Oh, there's too many Marvel movies, too many Marvel shows," I was like, "No, there are so many cool characters that we don't get enough." And that's also why I'm all in favor for the TV shows because you know some people are like, "There's too many you know Star Wars TV shows. They should be movies." And same thing with with Marvel. But the the thing about the TV shows, you know, when you have, even if it's a six episode show, that's like six hours versus, you know, two and a half hours. So there's so much more that can be done and explored. And, and while I absolutely a hundred percent love seeing, you know, everything on the big screen, but with the, with the, the shows, you know, there's just so much more that they can do. So, but it would be cool to, to, to see her in a movie and, you know, maybe the next door movie or something like that. And just like, I I just I'm still I'm still kind of at a loss with the with the end of Loki. It's like, what does this mean? So I mean, hopefully someday we'll find out. Also with Marvel, so apparently this this, this is kind of baffling in a way. John Hamm, who, who's an amazing actor, he he wants to be part of the MCU. I would think it'd be like, all right, <laughs> let's let's line something up. And I don't know what the holdup is. Why? If if he is publicly saying, yeah, I would love to do this, why the heck are they not like trying to figure something out? Part of the rumor is like, well, maybe you'll play Doctor Doom, but would he want to play Doctor Doom? Because you know, you play Doctor Doom, you have to wear a mask. It's none of this this 
hoity toy with this silly stuff is like you know toby mcguire not wearing a spider-man mask you know it's like you can't do that if you are going to play a character who wears a mask or has this or that or you know if it requires prosthetics or whatever you need to commit to that none of this whatever bending the rules and switching things around because if if he's dr doom yeah we can have some you know pre-armor dr doom or or have you know flashback dr doom but if you're in commit you got to commit yeah and i don't care who you are if you're in commit you got to commit that, that that's what i'm saying and if you can't commit it's too legit to quit i don't know and then uh not a whole lot of news because of thanksgiving right so the last bit of news that, that I'm aware of, I'm sure there is other news. This isn't really news, I guess. I, maybe I shouldn't have saved this for last. But um, so with that Madam Web trailer, which I'm I'm rooting, I'm rooting for that 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 movie so hard. Not that hard, actually, to be honest with you. But I, I am rooting for that movie. I, w- I want it to do well, and I I hope it's I hope it's so much better. Than like Morbius or even Venom. I'm, I, you know, I've said it before. I'm not a big Venom. I'm not a big Venom movie fan. Even though I love Tom Hardy, but uh, I don't know about those. So with with this movie, and I don't even think I mentioned this when you watch a trailer. And this is probably this is news to me. But when you see that the trailer, it's like okay, yeah, we got you know we got Madam Web, we got uh, Julia Carpenter. Wait, oh, oh my gosh, there's Anya Corazon. This is cool. And you know, what's what's happening? Who's the dude in the in the, who's the Spider Dude? It's not Spider Man. Who's this this Spider Dude in the black costume? I'm just like, all right, this must be some some crazy wacky. Sony's is creating some villain. Okay, you know we got all these Spider characters. Why not a Spider villain? Right, makes perfect sense. But apparently, and again, this is where it probably wasn't news, that Spider-Dude was actually Ezekiel, Ezekiel, what's his name, Ezekiel Sims? Uh, what? What? <laughs> Ezekiel, so totally different, obviously portraying, because Ezekiel, if you've read in the comics, Ezekiel is this old dude who had spider powers and came up to like Spider-Man, was like trying, kind of helping him. He was kind of actually trying to trick him a little bit because he made some bad deal and but whatever. But he he did kind of do the right thing at the end. He also helped out Cindy Moon a lot. You know, after she got bit, he's like helped helped her. So it's like, and I remember when he came out, I'm like, who is this dude? I part of me is like, is this like future Peter Parker? Can I come back trying to help him and everything? It was like, who is this this guy? So uh, we'll we'll see. And of course, you know, even though they're using a name, doesn't mean doesn't really mean a whole lot. It's just like, yeah, this is what we're calling him. We're grabbing his name from the Marvel, whatever catalog, and we're just gonna say that this is who it is. But but good good news for who was it? J.M. DeMatteis that created. So hopefully, he gets some movie money off of it. You know, and I'm sure I'm sure it's not what it should be, but hopefully. It, it's something. There actually is one other bit of news, which isn't much news um, <laughs> either. But apparently, uh, so some one of those random like scoopers, he's like, yeah, I, I heard this rumor. I think it was, it was like an anonymous Twitter account, Anon something. They're like, yeah, I, I heard this rumor. And, you know, the source is, is usually pretty, pretty trustworthy. But anyway, so what they heard is that with Superman, so while, you know, it is a younger Superman, 
he's been doing some stuff, but I guess not like super publicly known. And he kind of makes his debut in the Middle East. You know, some some Kryptonian tech was stolen, and I think it's Amanda Waller and Sam Lane. They go like to check it out, and then they think that Superman's involved, and then blah blah blah. But it really turns out to be Brainiac because <laughs> he, I guess, he stole some some tech or whatever when he shrunk Candor down or, or something silly like that. So James Gunn, you know, posted uh, a bunch of pictures. I mean, I think the bigger story is he did this Instagram post, put a bunch of pictures of Superman for all seasons with Jeff Loeb and, and Tim Sale. I'd be like, wait, does this have anything to do with this? Because all the images we previously saw were kind of like all-star Superman. So it's like, wh- what is like the kind of the inspiration for this movie? But someone's like, hey, is this this Middle East rumor true? And James Gunn's like, no. So this is why it's just, it's so, uh, it just, it drives me nuts when these rumors get started and I don't know where they come from. And maybe someone did hear, but that, that question is who is saying these rumors? And this is what baffles and blows my mind away. It's like, who's coming up with these rumors? It could be one thing if you actually work for the studio, if you have someone on the end, but even that it's like, if they're hearing this stuff, because if James Gunn is still working on the script, I mean, how much of that stuff is out there? Yes, they're doing this whole casting thing. All and you know, there's a couple other people that were cast, and I I saw some comment is like, were were these castings done during the the actor strike? And he's like, no. I mean, I mean, I would be like, f no. You know, you know these these uh, casting cast whatever casting that why does that sound right? They were actually the actors were cast. Before the strike happened, and he was like, they were just very good-natured not to say anything about it until after the strike, you know, even though they were probably so excited about this. Uh, so anyways, while I'm sure there are elements of the story, I mean, if they're saying, yeah, we're well, going to cast this character, we're going to cast this character, this character. So parts of the story must be out there. You know, other people besides James Gunn and Peter Safran, they must know about it, but... And and those that are that know about it, who's going to be like, hey, hey, whatever, Joe Peabody, internet scooper, guess what? I got some some dirt for you. Hey, psst, you want it? And and again, it, it I if if they're selling the information, I can kind of see that, even though that that's totally shady and and just a load of crap. But I just I, I don't I don't know I'm 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 so confused. But I kind of don't really care, and it, I, it's not worth talking about it. So let's say that is going to be the news for the week. Let's move on to comic books. At Image Comics, there was a there's a bunch of Black Science um, 10th anniversary deluxe. Uh, there's like one, two, volumes one, two, and three. I th- thought they put out like a big, huge thing, but I, I guess, you know, they, they kind of separated it to make it more affordable and, and bite-sized. So you definitely check that out. Tenement issue six came out. This is such a weird and freaky comic. You know, I, I mentioned all the time. So this one, you know, they're all these people from the tenement, they, they're like in this weird place. And... I mentioned I, I'm I pretty I kind of recall saying the last time there was like this weird last page where it's like holy crap what what is going on but I I won't get into that because in case you you're you're not reading it you're not caught up 
but this this um issue a bunch of different people they, they kind of see these like potential futures or past and and there's you know they're, they're getting these glimpses into these like really things are really going dark and it's almost like they're being tortured or like being you know these like nightmare things and then you know it's like it's not real it's not real but then they, they get freaky stuff starts come like these evil nightmare versions of themselves start coming after them and so it's there's some some this is such a weird weird uh comic I would love to see this adapted as like a, a series, you know, as like a TV show, not a movie because there's, there's too much going on. I mean, yeah, unless you're going to commit uh, Holy roller. So this is a Rick Remender and uh, Andy Sandberg actually is, was working on is listed as, as a story is by him. So it must be one of the things like he, maybe he came with story Rick Remender, like flashed it out and do everything like that. So it it takes place between I think it's nineteen eighty six and the present, where um, see how I, I now I feel like I should look up like what's the official description, but there's this kid, you know he's he's a Jewish kid, uh, and the only reason I bring that up is because there's some people that are anti Jews that are just pieces of crap. And uh, so this this kid, his dad is like this big time bowler and everything like that. So they're at the bowling alley, at the arcade, and then there's there's your typical annoying, super privileged white kid whose dad owns a place as like a tax write off or whatever. And he's getting he's you know major bully. He's older than the, the kid and all this stuff like that. And then there's like stuff with the present. So uh, it, and. Things get messy, so he's kind of. There's there's a bowling angle because <laughs> he gets his he so the, the kid ends up coming back like twenty was it twenty years or thirty years, something like that. He comes back home because his dad's dying, and he ends up swinging by like the arcade after that, and then the the, the annoying rich kid is like a grown up now, so him and his friends come after him, and um, so it's kind of I forgot how they described it like kingpins the movie and like batman and like something else and kind of kind of kind of interesting um kaya volume two came out so if you haven't been reading that monstrous volume eight came out so you can read that also talos saga hardcover was released uh i I, so i have a really nice hardcover i have a signed hardcover it's just i I almost i almost don't even want to look at it because it's just it's so sad to think about Mike Wieringo, Wieringo, that you know he's, and it's it feels, it's been so long since he passed. It's just it's crazy when how time goes. You know, just even recently I didn't I didn't mention it. You know, it's Darwin Cook's birthday. It was like last week. It's just it's so sad when when you know these amazing creators and amazing people. You know, not just for what they do, but they're just such nice people, and you know they're not with us anymore. So that's it's very sad. Universal Monsters Dracula number two came out. This is um, I, I'm enjoying this, and you know, with the uh, James Tynan the uh writing, and uh, what's it, Matteo de, de, de Simone? I could be wrong on that. And uh, it, it's you know, it's really cool, and everything. It's got such a vibe, and everything. I think the only issue that I'm having with it is that it's it's very true to the story. You know, it's, it's kind of like classic Dracula, uh, not not like Bram Stoker's Dracula and everything like that, but. And so I, I almost feel like it's not James totally cutting loose. 
as 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 he could. Maybe he is. I mean, I don't know, but I feel like you know he's he's kind of sticking a little close to that. I think he mentioned kind of said something about that. But it it's 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 good stuff, and it's it's kind of it's a little freaky. So you, know, you should be checking out. Just and just the art is just so it that creates a vibe in itself. So great package. Um, Void Rivals number. I, it's crazy that they're at issue six now. I didn't didn't realize that. I I don't remember what the last last issue I read, and um, I'm okay with the series from what I've read, and you know maybe I need to read the others to to really get a full sense. But um, yeah, so if if you that's something that if you're reading it, you know let me know what you think. Over at Marvel, <laughs> we had Amazing Spider-Man number thirty-eight. Oh my goodness, when am I going to start loving Spider-Man again? So this is more meet repo redash po re dot po whatever his name is, and so we, we find out some more about him, and there's more about wreck 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 Par- Parker backwards whatever the demon. This is just crazy, and then they're they're setting stuff up for the gang war. I just I don't know what it is. I, I it's just it's so weird that. I'm just, I'm just so not happy. And and when it comes to this, because you know I don't talk to other people, I, and I I don't scour the internet, you know, because I'm not on Twitter as much as I used to be because it's it's not what it used to be. So I really don't know what the consensus is. What do people think about Amazing Spider-Man? Are 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 they loving it? Is it just me, or is it just has it been kind of questionable for the past 38 issues? I have not been loving this volume, and I, I, it really bothers me because I love Spider. I've always loved the Spider-Man comics. Uh, I don't know. Maybe we need to go back to classic Amazing Spider-Man, or maybe maybe some other Spider-Man. We'll see. Uh, I, I'm talking about Secret Podcast, Avengers Inc. Number three. This is good. I'm I'm still digging this this series. I I like the idea of Janet Van Dyne being like kind of like a private eye, but the other thing is she's not a private eye. So this other issue comes up, and they're like, "Well, you, you know, been doing some things." It's like she's not a private eye, and and she's she's never been one to be like a detective. I I love the fact that she's getting a little more credibility, a little more time in the spotlight, but she's not a detective. You know, I, I feel like there's other characters that that would be more suitable to be a quote unquote detective, but whatever, that's that's fine. So uh, Valkyrie. Um, kind of says, hey, we got some stuff going. Scourge, something happened to him. He died. He's in Valhalla and he got killed. So, yeah, there's some... Yeah, it wasn't as good as... The, the bigger question is, who is this Victor Sage guy? That's his name, right? And, you know, what's going on with him? Captain Marvel, number two. I... I, I <laughs> I really loved the last Captain Marvel series, obviously, because it was Kelly Thompson writing it. And so now it's not Kelly Thompson writing it. And I don't want to say, well, if it's not Kelly Thompson, it's no good. But it's just, I I think the biggest problem I'm having is that she's bound by these negabands. You know, there was a high-tech thief stealing stuff. She's trying to steal a negabands and then accidentally got merged to the nega bands with with carol danvers so now carol's you know when, when they switch places and you end up in the, like the negative zone when you're not in the on earth or whatever and then there's this insanely super powered evil person 
who wants the 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 bands also and I, I don't know. Uh, wait, wait, so Carnage came out. I thought Carnage came out last week. Is it? I don't know what's going on. Uh, Daredevil Black Armor. When I heard about this, um, I I don't think I was like super reading the Daredevil comics. This wasn't. Was it was Shadow Shadowlands or whatever? When Daredevil had this armor, and wasn't it? Was it just recently, or was it further back? Uh, anyway, so we we got Daredevil back in the armor, and you know he's got this other. You know, he's not going by Matt Murdock. He's going by Jack Bat Batlin. It's like supposed to be Bat, Bat Batlin Jack Murdock, right? And um, I I didn't love this this series, and I I hate to say that, but. It's um, it's interesting, you know. It is. It's nice to go like one of these forced rec, not forced rec kind, but like a like a story like that they're gonna squeeze into regular continuity. And what I like about it is because it, in a way, it's 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 self-contained because you know it's gonna take place between this time and this time, so you don't have to necessarily worry about other things in the past because you kind of know where where they're at, but. It was okay. It was interesting. I, I totally forgot about where Kingpin was at at this point and so forth. But yeah, I, I didn't love it. It wasn't bad. I mean, I'm definitely going to read the next issue, but yeah. Um, Incredible Hulk issue six. I'm see, this is where I, I feel like, you know, I'm, I'm going to be honest. I'm, I'm not going to like sugarcoat things, but I'm, I'm not loving. And th- the thing is, I love the Hulk and the, the Hulk comics just, haven't been what I wanted for like quite a while. So we have this Hulk. He's he's a jerk because Hulk is often a jerk. Uh, but then we get this. You look at the cover. I'm like, oh, Ghost Rider. I'm, I'm having issues with Ghost Rider lately. But this is not not even a regular Ghost Rider, and it's just I don't. Know. So we're at issue six. It feels like it's been more than six issue. But it's like, what the heck is going on with this? The stuff with the green and the door, whatever. And I, I don't know. <laughs> then we have Immortal X Men issue seventeen. And uh, if you did not read the Jean Grey series, which I don't think I, I didn't mention it last week's podcast, I did read it. And um, yeah, if 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 you didn't read it, and then you you know you try reading this issue. You might be like, what, what, what's going on? So there, there's like stuff with Jean Grey because you know she died during the the, the the mutant massacre, Hellfire massacre, whatever, Krakoa massacre. But it's um, yeah, things that I I don't really understand what's going on with. I mean, I do understand what's going on with Krakoa, but it's like what what's happening here and and then uh, this lady, what's her name? The the other female like kind of. Um, uh, mother, mother's righteous. <laughs> Guess what? <laughs> she's she's evil. You know, she's been kind of like working with with them. No. Um, Invincible Iron Man. This was was pretty good. Uh, I'm just it's good, but I'm not digging the whole Orcus. Or it's every time I say Orcus, I feel like that's not right. It is right, right? <laughs> but there's there's stuff going on. I, I think, so the, the the issue I have here, because it's, it seems like I'm having an issue with everything, but uh, Riri Williams goes to the Hellfire Club because she wants to talk to Tony Stark, and 
uh, Emma and her Hazel, her her human fake persona, where she's married to Tony Stark, and you know she's talking. She's like, it's like no, you know Tony Stark's, you know he's he's not saying, greeting fans or whatever. And but Riri's just had such an attitude. You know, I still I'm not fully clear how she got the the man the Mandarin rings. And you know there's that whole disagreement. Tony's like, "Well, you shouldn't have them. They're you know they're dangerous and everything." And and she's like, "Oh no, I'm going to keep them." And you know they got this big argument over it, and it's just. Uh, but yeah, so there's there's stuff going on. Kingpin's here too. I hate Kingpin, but it it's it it's interesting how he's an ally, even though he's got selfish means, but he is kind of helping them. Marvel superhero Secret Wars. Battle World number one. When I first heard about this, I'm like, um, I love Secret Wars. In, in case you weren't aware, you you should be aware. I love, absolutely love Secret Wars. And we're getting this series, so this could be either great or hugely disappointing. It, it the idea is let's let's tell some other stories that happened in between, like during. Secret Wars, which would make sense because they, you know there probably was some downtime. I don't know how much time, you know, actually passed. So even though it was only twelve issues, there could have been you know time for adventures. And the fact that Battle World, this huge, it was a planet filled with you know chunks of other planets that Beyonder put together. But there's there's a little bit more going on here because and and you see on the cover. This is after issue eight. You know, Spider-Man is in his symbiote costume. But he ends up like in this other place. He's like, wait, how did I get here? I was just looking for a snack because I'm hungry. And now I'm fighting these other creatures. So there's like some some voices talking. And it's like, wait, who who is narrating? Who is, is like putting Spider-Man to this test and, and stuff going on? And then uh, other people are kind of brought in because I'm wondering if it's like other Beyonders because we got the, all that weird Beyonder stuff that, that's been kind of going on and I'm not super crazy about that. But then we see, I, I think also, I think it was mentioned, you know, when you look at the action figure line, I don't, I don't, I, I, I don't know if I'm super, if I'm going crazy about this, super crazy, but I feel like there are some things where you look at some of the action figures that were made in the, the Secret Wars line that had absolutely nothing to do with the kind of like, I remember it's like, I own a Daredevil. I still have the Daredevil figure. Daredevil wasn't there. There's was Hobgoblin figure my favorite, you know, action figures. He wasn't there. So it's like, I don't know if this was meant to kind of address some of that stuff or I don't know, but the, I didn't love this. I, I hate to say, I didn't love this first issue, but I'm, I'm holding out, uh, holding out hope that it's going to get better. Um, then we have Moon Knight, City of the Dead. This is issue five. Guess what? I didn't super love this. It, there's, it, it's the same, the, the main issue. I, I've mentioned this before. You know, this whole City of the Dead, there's this kid who was kind of attacked. His soul is kind of taken by this Brotherhood of the Jackal group or something like that. And... Mark's like, well, I'm going to go have to save him as I have to die to go to the city of the dead. And then there's other people, like other villains, other bad guys that Moon Knight kind of, whether intentionally or unintentionally, killed. They're the, so Because I feel like the city of the dead it was like some sort of Egyptian lore. Because it's not like hell. It's not purgatory. It's not like the Christian hell or whoever's hell. 
so because it felt like there was like this kind of conchu Egyptian angle to it, but it's like no, and it's like why are all these people here when they have actually nothing to do? So it was it was it was fine. We'll see. Um, she Hulk issue two. It's like what the heck is going? On? All of a sudden, so we we have Hulk in the Incredible Hulk. You know he's. He's there's this girl that's kind of like tagging along with him, and, and the Hulk is like, "You need to go." And Banner's like, "You need to get get away from me. It's not safe and everything." And you know he's dealing with all this stuff, and then all of a sudden the Hulk's in New York, going to see like She Hulk, and he's like, "You need to stop following me. You need to stop bothering me." And she's like, "What are you talking about?" And uh, and then and then they get attacked by this ridiculous character. That has been in, in the She-Hulk, the past She-Hulk comics. Oh, I don't know what's going on there. Bounty Hunters came out. Dark Joys. I'm so far behind in Dark Joys. I I think I, it's 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 done for me. Um, Dark Joys D Squad came out. Uncanny Spider-Man issue four. I'm not really sure. I feel like I'm missing something here. What is the purpose? What where? What is the direction here? And it just. Nightcrawler just feels weird, like when he's talking to this, this like ghost spirit version, like cute, you know, chibi version of himself. But he's also like swearing, like Kurt doesn't swear. And then he's got this relationship with Silver Sable, who was hired to hunt him down. Uh, it's just, <laughs> I, I don't know. Um, and, and just the fact that he's like, well, I'm going to dress as a, as a Spider-Man character. And Spider-Man keeps popping up. It's like, okay, what's, like, what, what's happening? Um, and then Wolverine 39, um, I didn't really read that. Uh, I, I started skimming it, and I'm just like, eh, I don't know. Uh, let's look at, at DC. Um, there's some, some good stuff at DC. There was uh, Batman Superman World's Finest. Um, I forget what issue it was. Uh, it, it's, it's good, but it's, it's weird. Uh, so they, Superman and Batman, they're going after that kid Thunder or Thunderman or whatever that, that kid's name was. He's in the Kingdom Come universe, which is kind of weird. And they end up fighting the Kingdom Come versions of themselves. Of course, right? Hero versus hero happens all the time. But this jerky kid... He's mad at Superman. He's like, you left me. You said you were going to save me. And, you know, he, time traveled, happened differently or whatever. And so he, you know, he's been there for a while. And then he's telling him, it's like, oh, they're they're imposters or killers. Don't believe what they're saying. It's just like, you're such a jerk. And he's like lying to them. And of course, Wonder Woman issue three. This is a, I'm still, I, I don't know, I, I, I don't know if I like this, this series or not. So, you know, Tom King's been, been doing this. We got, I feel like some things are ridiculous. And I, I've said it, I'm, and I feel like I shouldn't say it again. But the fact that you have an Amazon who killed some men, you know, she was at this bar, CD bar, some dude like grabs her butt or something like that. She ends up killing like 17 people or something like that. So then U.S. government's like, all Amazons need to be deported and detained and everything like that. Because one person, and I just think it's ridiculous. Because like, if someone from Australia did something horrible, and it's not like the U.S. government is going to say all Australians need to leave the country. And I'm I'm just saying it's something. Nothing against Australia. I would I would love to go there someday. So you know we we have all this, 
And this Sarge, Sergeant Steel guy, he is so extreme. He, you know, he's so sexist, such a misogynist. Whatever, and you know, he's just just the way he. It, it's just like it's too over the top. The way they and and you know maybe it's realistic that some people, some men, some dudes, you know, feel this way. You know, they just they they just put down whatever anything you know a woman does, and it's just. It's so ridiculously extreme the way, you know, he's just going on about that. So it that is being done so when Wonder Woman steps up, when she starts kicking some butt, it's like, okay, in your face, dude, you know, you're getting your, your butt handed to you by a woman, by a girl. It's just, it's kind of kind of crazy. And then at the same time, there's a little bit more about Trinity, Wonder Woman's daughter, and I think they just kind of let quite a bit, like, uh, let several cats out of the bag, which, what does that mean? And the way, I, just, I don't know. So we'll have to stay tuned to that. Nightwing number 108. This is uh, this is just consistent. You know, Tom King has been just doing such a great job with this. <laughs> Even though uh, we have Rick Grayson, when after Dick Grayson got shot in the head and he had a amnesia and had this other persona as and he drove around bloodhaven as a taxi driver he had this he, he met a woman at a bar bea b b bea i don't know which i don't know which one they're going with b let's go with b and um you know they're they were together for a while they were in a relationship and now she's like a pirate pirate queen it's like what so there's stuff going on there, and uh, of course you could, there's some betrayal stuff going on, and things get get pretty nuts. Uh, but it, it's also kind of kind of hard seeing them to talk because you know Dick kind of had to you know break things off with her and everything, and you know he was like it was it was too dangerous for you and everything, and he's like well you're you know you're, you don't seem to be concerned about Batgirl, so yeah. Uh, Justice League versus Godzilla versus Kong. Um, not a whole lot of Kong in this issue. Let's just say that. And uh, things are, are are pretty getting pretty pretty messy. So the the, the the Legion of Doom, they one in particular, which I I don't think I mentioned it last week, so I won't spoil who one one person is kind of involved was responsible for the Titans coming over. And uh, the the Justice League's kind of fighting the different creatures and everything, and they kind of have to split up. And there's some interesting ways it's it's handled, and like what they're doing, and how you know they're they're working together and everything like that. So I I'm enjoying this, and you know it is like its own continuity. You know things are a little different, um, but it's it's just it's it is fun to to, to see how, how how this is working out. Uh, Superman number. Eight. So this is uh, Josh Williamson writing this, and you know we we got Superman fighting this, trying to contain this guy. I don't know if they're calling him the, the chain because he's got these big massive chains that he can kind of control and stuff like that. So he's this dude that apparently Lex Luthor locked up and buried, you know, like years ago, and Superman accidentally let him out, and now these other two dudes. I think it's both dudes, right? That are like 
they hate Lex Luthor, so they're trying to convince this guy to, you know, go on their side. And, uh, yeah, but the, the interesting thing that I'm getting out of this is the fact that we have Lex Luthor's daughter is brought back into continuity. So it's just like, you know, what's going to happen there? So we'll have to see. Uh, then there is uh, Titans number five. Um, this this was okay, and you know there's there's stuff going on. I don't know what this means because you know Wally it, in the, like the first issue he he's like he gets killed. You know someone's killing him. He travels back in time and he's like uh, he, he dies in front of the Titans. So their whole thing is like, well, we need to protect him. We need to, you know, figure this out. And then last issue, we kind of saw someone out to get him. I don't know if he's safe now or if there's still the threat there. And then there's stuff with the Brother Blood, which I'm, I'm not really digging that. The Church of Blood, whatever storyline. Not crazy about that. Then there's uh, Justice Society of America. Um, I'm just... I'm I'm digging this, but as I read this, I'm like, how long is Jeff Johns going to be writing this? Because I feel like he's you know going to be doing his his own creator you know the the stuff that he's he's doing, and so does that mean he's going to stop writing at DC, or is he going to still do both? Because if like I'm sure you know I I know Jeff Johns is the only one that can write Justice Society, but if if someone else were to do it, I don't know. And I, I feel like the, like just what he's done with Huntress and bringing her into the, you know, the whole thing. I, I just feel like, you know, he has all this stuff, you know, planned. And then if someone, else, I, I, I don't know. Then there's a Batman off world. So this is by Jason Aaron and Doug Monkey. I, I, this was like a last minute read. I'm trying to read it. And then I'm just like. There's all these aliens, like what the heck's going on? And then I I kind of stopped reading it. And I was just like flipping through the pages and I'm just like, what? So maybe, you know, it'd be better if I actually was reading it, but yeah. Um Jay Garrick the Flash, number two. This is this is good. You know, I, I like I, I love the fact that this is continuing from the, the Star Girl comic. And, you know, we have Jay Garrick, you know, it's like, guess what? Jay Garrick, you had a daughter, but somehow you forgot about her, you know, years ago. She's back, but she's still, like, 15, even though, you know, you're, like, in your 60s or 70s or whatever. So I, I like that the fact that she's there and, and, and you know, he's slowly, like, getting memories of stuff with her, which would be so weird. So I, I'm, I'm enjoying that. Um, Green Lantern War Journal. Um... I I just I don't know I don't think I'm digging this so much and and that's the weird thing is like I'm not sure if 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 I'm liking it I I feel like you know one it's like John Stewart's getting his own book great awesome yay you know give him the spotlight and all stuff but but then there's just some really heavy bad stuff happening to him of course because you know if you don't have that it's gonna be a boring comic but it's just. Uh, it's just kind of weird. I don't know. Um, and what else was there? Um, Catwoman 59. I started skimming that. I wasn't really digging it. And uh, that is pretty much... I feel like there was something else I read at DC. But 
maybe that was it. Um, so I guess that word, let's just say that that's it. Pretty sure that's going to be comics for the week. All right, with Doom Patrol, Season 4, Episode 11, Portal Patrol. So I believe this is the second to last episode. And so they, yeah, they went through the portal last time. You see, like, this old fighter plane. You see, like, dinosaur. The, t- the team's all hanging out to Robot Man. And Vic's like, grid, deploy p- the pod. And then they all get enclosed in this big kind of, like, hexagon ball or whatever. And, you know, they're, like, looking at him. They're like, what's going on? He's like, oh, I upgraded. And Cliff's like, so, technically, we're all inside of you. And he, like, snickers because he's immature. And Vic says that, you know, they should focus on on getting back and Cliff says, well, you know, what's the point? He's like, so Amores can kick our butts or so the butts can take a bite out of it. He's like, you know, we don't have our longevity. You know, we're old, we're useless. And Vic says that, you know, people are in danger and, you know, Cliff's like, well, you know, of course you want to go back. You're not dying. And, you know, you got a shiny new body to play with. And Jane screams like, shut up. And Larry's like, what about Rita? And Vic's like, what about her? And Larry's like, she's the reason that we went after Immortus you know, in the first place. Rita's dying. And Vic's like, then why are we even arguing? Keeg zips out of Larry's body, goes out into like the time stream stuff, and then he zips back into, and he goes into Vic. And Vic pulls out like this holo display, and Grid says that Keeg has discovered a series of uh, portals within the time stream. And Rouge seems to think that it's weird. She's like, wait, who, who's Grid? Whatever. So she's like, thinks it's weird that there's a voice inside of his head. Whatever. I don't know why that's weird. She thinks he's talking to himself. I don't know. But Vic says that, Keek says that there's longevity located on the other side of the three portals. There's no Immortus, just longevity. And Cliff's like, BS. And Larry says that, you know, the longevity was a big part of Keek's, Keek's life, so he knows what it feels like. And Vic gives E. <laughs> Each person a knuckle off, you know, he takes a knuckle off his his hands, gives them, he says that he's going to give them an hour to go and find the longevity, and then he can pull them back with the grid tech somehow. It's like, okay, how would you even know to design that? How is that even possible? How can you foresee that people are being going through a, a portal in a time? I don't know. They split up. But Jane decides to go with Larry because, you know, Cliff, like, reaches out to her, but she doesn't want to touch the gross oven mitt. And so Rouge, 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 Rogue, I almost said Rogue, Rouge appears at the ant farm, and she's like, oh, fudge me. And the screen tells us that it's 1949, and she sees this door marked Project Immortus, Niles Calder. So obviously, that's where the longevity is. Larry and Jane end up back at the mansion, and Larry, you know, they, they see uh, Cliff, like, standing by this window. So uh, Larry thinks it might be, like, 1996-ish when Niles lied to Cliff about his family dying. Because, you know, he was, he was just standing there. He just, he stood there until 2004. The screen tells us that it's Doom Manor 1996. Jane's like, well, we could just tell him that, that Claire's alive. And Larry says, except that they only have an hour to save Rita and maybe the world. Then Jane realized she's like, well, Chief is here. So that means that they're going to have to get the longevity from him. Larry says that the good news is that Niles has seen it all. So he bets that, you know, they're not even the first time travelers that he's ever met. So, you know, I guess they're just supposed to ask him to hand over the one thing he holds most precious over, you know, out of everything. And then Keek flies out of Larry and then darts off. So it's like, where is he going now? In Paraguay, 1948, 
Willoughby is drinking in a bar. Niles walks in. He's like, I've got it. And he pulls out the longevity necklace from his satchel. Willoughby's kind of drunk. And Niles says that some dude's men are, are like after him. Like Nazis. Some guy, Von Fuchs, is after him. And uh, so they need to get out of there. They need an exit strategy. And I was like, well, you're the exit strategy. And Willoughby's like, all right, fine. He's like, first I need to hit the head. So he needs to go to the bathroom. So Niles puts on a necklace. Then there's like a blue light and Cliff walks in and Niles looks at him. He's like, no, he's like, you can't be, you can't be. And Cliff's like, let me guess. You've got some sketches of me somewhere, right? It's like, bad idea. And I was like, it is impossible. And Cliff's like, oh, I'm possible. You create me and ruin a bunch of other lives with your experiments. And, and then he, and I was like, will you stop talking to me as if you know me? He's like, oh, I do. I mean, I will in the future. So Niles like points a knife at him. He's like, who sent you? Von Fuchs, the brain? And Willoughby walks up and he's like, what's this? And then Cliff's like, oh, drunk Merlin is here? He's like, fudge this. I'm done talking. And Willoughby freezes like Cliff's like animation, whatever. And, you know, he has like a, he gripped, uh, he was like reaching for the necklace or whatever. So he's like got a hold of, of uh, Niles' like shirt or like shoulder or something like that. And then he also mentions that he has a Parkinson. So he's used to being frozen. So this isn't anything new on him. But he's, his hand is stuck on, on, on Niles. Larry tries catching up to Keeg. Then he sees the other energy being, the negative being, like, he orders Keeg to, to get back inside. And he's like, you want to know where I'm from? I'm from the future where you abandoned me. And he asks Larry about the blood on his cheek. And Larry says that he's also dying. So the negative spirit flies off. And Larry tells Keeg, he's like, oh, well, I guess this is as good a time as any to tell you that that's your father. Then a younger Larry comes out. And, and he's like walking kind of weird. And Larry's like, wait, you're controlling him? He's like, I didn't know you could do that. And in past, Larry slowly talks like, it's, it's actually energy spirit. It's like, you need this. And so he gives him like some bandage for his cheeks. Uh, Jane ends up in the basement. You know, she sees like videotapes and various interviews. Now it's done. She starts hearing voices. They're like, you know, say it. And then Chief rolls in. He's like, because, you know, she's got her back to the, like, the shelf with all the tapes. He's like, Jane? He's like, when did you come back? And she's like, I'm not back. And she turns around. She's like, not for a while. He's like, what has happened to you? Because, you know, she's old and everything. And she's like, we lost our longevity. And he's like, oh, you know about longevity? She's like, we know everything in the future. So then, since they left, Vic has been calling out an SOS, asking if anyone can hear him. All he's getting is static, and he says himself that you know he's back being cyborg for less than 24 hours, and he's already calling for help. And then we see this rat crawl under her door, and it's rouged. You know, she shapeshifted or whatever. And we see Niles, he's like cutting up like a piece off of longevity. It's like, wait, what's he doing with that? Um, back with Jane, she's like, don't worry. She's like, we've done all the fighting we can about what you've done. So how about it? You want to shave off a little more of, of Immortus to save our lives? He's like, I'd love to help you, Jane, but I really can't do that. And she's like, hmm, I know. And then she turns back to the tapes. She pulls one labeled Hammerhead. And he's like, if there's anything else I could do to help. And she's like, they're all gone. And he's like, who? The personas? He's like, what does that mean? She's like, it means I'm getting old. And, you know, I'm old as fudge and I'm losing my mind. It means I can't form a normal fudging relationship outside these a-holes in this house. And I need to figure out a puzzle that could change what life I have left. It means that in some weird fudged up way, you might be the best person to help me. 
So, and then in the bar, Willoughby asked Cliff, you know, he's like, where are you from anyways? And he's like, oh, <laughs> I just got here from fudging your mom. And then, so now it's like, apparently I create him at some point in the future. And Willoughby's like, the future? He's like, bollocks. It's like, I'll have to flush our memories after this. And I was like, you will do no such things. And Willoughby's like, future knowledge is a toxin, Niles. He's like, those who possess it are consumed by it. And Cliff's like, that checks out. My buddies and I discover future where killer butts have taken over to Earth. And he's like, stop talking about the future. He's like, I will if you let me go. And he's like, no. And I was like, you've done enough already. And Cliff's like, no, I haven't. There are lives depending on me, Niles. People you are going to love one day. And he's like, oh, right, pals, just like yourself. And Cliff's like, I know what you think. that I'm your enemy, and we're sure as spit, not pals. But I understand you now, you want to live one day longer than your daughter, right? Well, I have a grandson, Rory. All I want more, all I want is more time with him, too. I'm not asking for a lot. A few crumbs. It's the least you can do for me. You owe me that much. And then we see Derek. He's like in a, like a classroom. Uh, and you know, there's some kids in there. He has that little robot, the Mister Invincible, that they they made. He's talking to a few kids about how you know it's old, may not look like much, but you know it's stuff like you have to learn to walk before you can fly, or whatever. He turns the thing on, and then you can hear Vic's SOS static coming through. So they start talking. Vic says he needs help because he's stuck in a time stream. The lab Niles with Rouge. He puts a piece, like the longevity to cut off, and he puts this liquid, and he like and he stirs it around, puts it in an aquarium, this like green light kind of starts swirling around, and he's like, there you are. Then Rogue hits him from behind, knocks him out, and she's like, I kind of hope that hurts. Then there's a knock on the door, and it's past Rouge. She like walks in, so Rouge from this time period, and somehow Niles is sitting back, you know, he's sitting up in his chair, but it's actually Rouge. She shapeshift to look like him. So past Rouge says, she's like, oh, I have some files to drop off. You know, more more files for your Mortis project. And then um, Niles slash Rouge, you know, she rolls forward um, so that, that past Rouge doesn't see the real Niles, like, lying, knocked out on the floor. And then he, she says, hand them here. And then he's like, you know, she's just standing there past Rouge and he's like, you can go. And then she starts to walk out. She turns. She's like, I respect your work. And I think that I would be a great asset to you. So then uh, Rouge as Niles like, Mr. Mill, I've had my eye on you for some time. I have observed your ambition, your single mindedness and your ability to compromise. And what those concessions have done to your character. It is my opinion that you are simply not cut out for the Bureau. And she's like, well, that's quite a lot to digest. So I, I'll i just see myself out. And real Niles starts to kind of like wake up just as uh, past Rouge leaves. So then he, he crawls over, hits this alarm. And then Rouge turns into a rat again and scurries off out of there. But then past Rouge is in the hallway. She's like, I knew there's something off about you. And she's like, I think she threw her coder or something on, on Rat Rouge. Larry wraps himself with a new bandage. Past Larry, the negative energy asks, is like, it is from me. And, you know, he putting his hand on his chest. He's like, yeah, that's right. It's our, it's our key. You know, you know, maybe you could help us. You want my help? And Larry's like, I know dying shouldn't be a big deal. I made it a century, right? But the thing is, I have Keeg now. I've been worrying about who's going to take care of him after I go. You know, maybe it could be you. 
I know he'd be safe with you. You know, you could teach him things about himself that I could never do. And the energy's like, no. And Larry's like, did you not hear the part where I said I'm dying? This Larry, not ready for two. I am sorry. Larry's like, you're sorry? I'm not even supposed to be here. I'm not supposed to be at work today. He's like, I'm on a mission to save Rita, and I'm throwing it away to ask you for help saving our child, and you're sorry? Do you have any idea what you've done? I wasn't mad at you because you left. It's because you gave me the chance at fatherhood, and it's been beautiful, and now the most painful thing I've experienced because it's all for naught. I'm fudging dying, and I can't take care of my child. Keeg will be well. You don't know that. He... He's not as strong as you. He worries. Why worry? Because there's a solid chance that Keeg is what kills me. Kill? And then Keeg goes into past Larry. And he's like, yeah, good. You two talk it out. Niles uh, with Jane um, pours himself like some potion to erase his memories. And she says that, well, you might want to pour a double because I have a question for you. And he's like, why not ask me in your time? And she's like, because you're not there anymore. So there's a pause. He's like, I see. Pours more potion. Then she's like, why do we have so many sessions when you knew I was a lost cause? And I was like, why on earth would you think that? She's like, because I know there's a room with a dozen locks on the door waiting for me at Josh Clay's house for your worst case scenarios. So I have to assume that you don't have high hopes for me. And I was like, it's just... That sometimes you're so hard to reach, Jane. Your tether is so thin. And she's like, so why do you keep trying? Why are you trying now? Because I'm your friend. And she's like, do you honestly believe that? And I was like, yes, I do. I am your incredibly imperfect friend. Do you still think you're lost cause? She's like, it sure as poop looks that way. I can't find Kay and the others without solving some fudging jigsaw puzzle and getting my new purpose. He's like, I could help you with that. I'm good at puzzles. And she's like, no, it's it's not like that. I have to say something to solve it, and I don't know what that is. And I was like, or maybe you do know what it is, but you don't want to. And she's like, maybe. And he's like, what is it you do want then? And she's like, peace. Is there something wrong with that? He's like, no. It's just that until now, your purpose has always been to survive, which means I'm afraid that you will never find absolute peace. So Derek has created a like a pod in the, like the robot classroom, and one girl says something about calculating time portals or whatever, and Vic's like, that kid sounds smart. He's like, how does she know how to calculate that? And Derek's like, you taught her. And then Vic's like, I'm talking to the future? And he's like, you're talking to your future. At first I thought that meant that the girl was somehow his daughter, but... No, she calls him Mr. Stone later, so I guess not. Willoughby manages to pry Cliff's hand off of Niles' shoulder. Then Willoughby wants to, you know, vanish. He wants to take off. Niles says that, you know, he's sorry for, to Cliff for whatever happened to him, for what he may or may not do to him. You know, he's not that man yet. He's like, and if I become him, then we will cross that bridge when we come to it. Then from outside, a dude with like a German accent calls to him. And he says that, um, he's an assistant cobbler to Dr. Henrik von Fuchs. Will be, you know, he decides to sit and have another drink because he doesn't want to get involved. 
And now says, he's like, oh, they're bluffing. You know, he's like, I destroyed their armory. But then there's like a big, you know, big, huge something is like tossed her door. And Cliff, you know, he's like, unfreeze me. So Willoughby's like, oh, fine. So then two dudes in suits come in, which they don't look like your typical Nazis, whatever. And Cliff's like, oh, axes. Is that the best you could do? And, you know, then he's like, let's see what your hatchet will do against my Goliath. And then Cliff's like, oh, so now we're buddies? And then uh, the axes that the two dudes are, are, they seem to be electrified. So then Niles like, you're up. And Cliff's like, but the thing is, you created me with one weakness, electricity. And he's like, how's that? So Cliff's like, I'm a brain in liquid surrounded by metal. He's like, don't look at me like that. You created my ass. And now you want me to take on two electric axes? He's like, fine, may I? So he takes the hatchet from, from Cliff that he had in his hand. He throws that at one of the dudes and he goes down. He's like, how about one electric axe? So he swings. Cliff dodges and he kicks the guy when he, he you know, he, he misses. He goes flying out of the bar. But then Cliff curses because he got frozen again with his like foot sticking out. So he tells him that it's, it's a Parkinson's and then he like tips over. Past Rouge asks, you know, how long, she's like, how long are you to keep this up? I know you're a shifter. And Rouge is like still a rat and, you know, she's in a cage. So the past Rouge says that she's going to take um, them out and she's going to talk to her. And if she tries anything, then the guards will deal with her. So she takes her out. She changes to her real form. And past Rouge is like, cute. And Rouge is like, cute? How's your mind not blown? I'm you, you fudging idiot. And past Rouge is like, I know a grifter when I see one. Or did you think I'd be so stunned by this bizarrely dressed version of myself that you'd get the drop on me? It's like, I invented that play. And Rouge is like, I know because I invented that play because I am you. And past Rouge is like, prove it. And she's like, how? We haven't trusted a soul since we were 14. Remember, our parents led the mob, chased us out of town because we revealed our abilities. And past Rouge, she, she kind of gets like teary-eyed by that. And in regular Rouge, she's like, sorry, had to do it. Back at the bar, Willoughby and Niles are, are trying to straighten out Cliff's legs. They get him up, and then Niles says that if he's the man who builds him, then he's not. And then Niles like, if he's the man who builds him, then he's a GD genius. And Cliff's like, no, you're a monster. Then this other Nazi comes in with electric axe screams and Cliff's like, chief, look out. He grabs him out of the way because, you know, he throws the axe, but as he grabs him and like flings him over, he accidentally slams his back against the, the bar top. You're crunch. So Willoughby decides to act and he like chokes a Nazi from like across the room. Um, the, the Rouges are talking. Uh, Rouge says that she came for Calder's, um, for Niles Immortus artifact past asks you know what will it do and in present whatever regular Rouge like for us not a thing but my friends need it and I need them so she's like time traveling the past Rouge is like time traveling to the ant farm is quite the risk to take for your friends and present Rouge is like well they help me be a better person past is like why would we need to be better and Rouge looks down and she sees like the weapon stamp on her desk because, you know, she's stamping, you know, people with powers. And so Rouge's like, because I haven't, I have spent my entire existence trying to undo all the horrible poop that we've done. I know you want to believe you're good. You want 
power so you can change the world, but this isn't the way. The bureau isn't the way. And pastors kind of like laugh. She's like, that's just your opinion, isn't it? Because I'm not you. And Rouge is like, not yet. Pastor is like, I'm a good person. You fudging witch. She doesn't say witch. And president is like, no, you're not. And then she like shoves her past self and she starts, she starts like pounding on herself. It's like, holy crap. It was a little, little, a little weird. Dick asks the class how they're doing. Girl says the portals are still there. There's a, like a back door and she's like, Mrs. Stone can get there. And he's like, how can the kid be so certain? So her name's Joy. She's like, because it's math. She's like, I've run the calculations. He's like, so is grid. And then I think Derek's like, yeah, but your version of grid doesn't have the data that our setup has. He's like, so he's like, we're going to transfer the data to grid. Then future cyborg comes in like wearing a red tracksuit. He's like, what I miss. So uh, Derek's like, we're saving you from a time stream. And he's like, you have your doubts though. So then the girl, Joy, she's like, we're saving you from a time stream. And Derek's like, you have your doubts, though. And then future cyborgs, like, yeah, it'll work, whatever. So Grid says that there appears to be a portal at the very spot from which they entered time stream. And, and then Vic's like, Grid, recall the knuckles. So Rouge, she's still hitting her, her past self. And past says that, she's like, I don't deserve this, I'm good. And Rouge's like, good? good she grabs a weapon stamp where the fudging weapon she slams on her face like eight times like just like stamping her face like hard and she's like why 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 and rouge is like because i fudging hate us but then she gets sucked back through the portal cliff is freaking out over niles on the floor he's like chief talk to me and he's like uh, i can't feel my legs willoughby's like i'll get you out of here you know and get you some help and Cliff's like, no, this this can't isn't happening now. This can't be on me. Please, it isn't fair. I'm not the one who broke your fudging back. And Niles like, you are quite magnificent. And he's like, I'm sorry. But Niles passes out. So Cliff takes the necklace from him. And Willoughby's like, I've seen and done some nastiness in my life. But taking longevity from a dying man, that that is true fudgery. I mean, like you said... He owes you, right? So I suppose now you're even. And Cliff's like, you're going to wipe his memory of this, right? And he's like, wipe his memory? He's dying. And Cliff's like, why is everything on me? Everyone else gets to cruise through life completely immoral. He's like, what about me? Why do I have to be tortured by everything? And he looks at the longevity. Now he's like, you know, uh, he's like groaning quietly. Then Cliff puts it back on his neck and he stands up and then he gets sucked through the portal. Larry says to pass Larry to negative energy that he hates to be pushy, but they're in a bit of a clock. He flies back into him. Pass Larry points out, points to the sky. And he's like, yes, I know. He thinks he's going to throw me into the sun. And he's like, the pass is like, no, this is different. Not death, new life. And Larry's like, new life? I become a new life in the sun? He's like, are you trying to tell me that we become a fudging sun? And past Larry gives a thumbs up. And then he's like, wait, what does that even mean? Okay, like, why would we ever do that? So past turns and starts walking. And Cliff's like, or Larry's like, answer me. And negative energy's like, you are stronger than my Larry. But still, so much fear. 
you pass it to Keeg. And then there's the, the portal's behind Larry, but for some reason it's not sucking him through. And Larry's like, why would you say something so cruel? And then whoosh, he gets sucked through. Jane says that she could do more than what um, she made for her, something like that. She's like, you might not believe this, but I have made progress. The other lunatics in this house, I've actually become friends with them. And I was like, maybe the others are extensions of your purpose. They've helped you survive. You've helped them. Maybe if you let it out, I might free you to do even more than you were designed for. Maybe even then whatever this new purpose might be. And she's like, how do I even know I want a new purpose? I'm so tired, tired of being me. And he's like, right, you want peace. And she's like, if not me, then who? And I was like, how about Kay? She's the one who created all of you to do the tasks that she can't. So maybe you solving your, your puzzle could free her to search for her peace. And Jane's like, what about the rest of us? And he's like, yes, but Kay, Kay is the one who suffered. Kay is the one who went through the trauma. And then Hammerhead's voice says, come on, Jane. So they're like all standing behind Niles and they're like, say it. And Kay comes up to her, like right next to her. It's like, you've always known, just say it. And Jane's like, it happened to all of us. It happened to me. I was raped by my father. The moment we were created, we could all feel the memory. And this is when it's like, oh my gosh, like, holy crap. This is, this is like not, this show is like such low humor, you know, cursing and just inappropriate stuff. But then you get something like this. This is like heavy duty. Then there's a, like a puzzle in front of her with just, it's a smaller puzzle, but there's just one piece missing and it's in her hand. So you can see now, now actually looks like she's happy for her. So she puts a piece in and then the like puzzle changes to like, like almost like a kaleidoscope of covers, colors, just like swirling and stuff like that across the, the puzzle. So then Jane somehow is back at the train station and this car opens up with the other personas and Jane reaches out. She's like, please come with us. And then the train moves and then the station starts like crumbling behind them. And Kay's like, it's all right. We don't need it anymore. We're all together now. It's like, I just want you to know what I've been building. And then the color changes and it's like they have different outfits and a portal opens. Niles is left alone. Um, he's just uh, taps his finger against the, the glass. Like, is he going to drink it? But then it turns out it looks like he's not going to drink the potion because maybe he wants to remember this breakthrough that Jane had. In the pod, Larry's like, three shots. We had three shots and we failed. Jane's like, well, you know, we don't need the longevity. We have each other. And when we come together as one, we can do everything. Close like surprise. He's like, Jane's giving the pep talk? The, that's where we are? It's like, which persona are you right now? And she's like... I'm all of us. And her eyes are kind of like this purplish, bluish color. She's like, I am the kaleidoscope. And Rouge asks, she's like, what the hell does that mean? And uh, Jane's like, I don't totally know. I'm working that out. And then Vic's like, Jane's right. Young or old, it doesn't matter. We have to do what's right. And that means going back there and putting up a fight. And they're like, Larry's like, fight who exactly? The all-powerful Immortus? And the ever-growing horde of butts? Vic's like, 
whoever we have to in order to save the world. And Larry kind of scoffs. And he's, but Vic's like, to save Rita. He's like, heck, maybe even save ourselves. So Nicholas like, fudge it. I'm going to hell anyways. If the last thing we do before we croak is take down those mother truckers with us, it is what it is. And Vic's like, grid, proceed to the coordinates that you received. We're going home. And that's the end of the episode. So, like I, I said at the beginning, this is some like deep, heavy topics, and just just like the stuff that Larry's going through, and now you know Cliff's going to have this guilt, you know, just a revelation of like what he did to Chief. Jane's like thing is is just it's it's so tragic. I mean, oh. so yeah, it's it's just crazy. And uh, there's one episode left, and I'm I'm kind of bummed because. It, that that's it you know there's gonna be no more and you know even though watching the show and you know trying to you know cover it and all it's it's kind of a pain but i there's something about watching it it's just been like fun and it's just it's absurd they just really push boundaries but like this episode was just like so humanizing i don't know so yeah it was just it was, it was good Right now, Invincible season two, episode three, dismissive, this machination. This was this was a weird episode the way they presented it. It just and I don't know. I mean, I'm assuming it was intentional, but it's almost like we the episode was interrupted with another episode, and because you get like end credits like in the middle of the episode, but it wasn't over. And again, so it starts off. Debbie, Mark's mom, drops him off at college, and you know she's like, "Oh, this must be where you know Mama Bird pushes baby out of wooden nest." And he's like, "Well, it's a good thing I can already fly." And then he's like, "You gonna be okay?" And, she, and he's like, "I can be home in five minutes, you know, if, if you need me." And she's like, "I'll be fine." And she, you know, talks about like anger is part of it, you know, part of the grieving. And she tears up a little bit, you know, the thought of him leaving, you know, because she's like, this past year has been, he's like, tough. She's like, yeah, but college is a fresh start. I want you to enjoy every second of it. This is your chance to figure out who you are. And I don't mean invincible. I mean, Mark Grayson, my son, my baby boy. He's like, okay, okay. You know, he's like, I love you, mom. You know, they they hug. And she's like, and don't do drugs. And he's like, would they even work on me? And she's like, you do not need to find out. He's like, okay, I'll be home for dinner on Sunday. Or will he? So she gets in the car and then she's like fighting the tears. And she pulls out that card that Olga gave her. Because there's a number on the back. We didn't see it. We, it was a black card with just like some red lines in there. It's like, what does that mean? So she calls and some lady, Carol, according to the closed caption, she says something. She's like, oh, just just let me take this call. And it's like, wait, what is that? So Debbie said that she got the card from her friend Olga, and she starts to say her name is is Debbie, and Carol cuts her off. She's like, yeah, uh, it's like, sorry, no last name's Debbie. Olga told me uh, about you. I've been expecting your call. Martin is dorm. Mark puts up a seance dog. I thought it was science dog. Wasn't it science dog in the comics? You know, it's been a while. Um, and here's the thing. I don't know if I ever said it, but it's like, I don't think I've read every single issue of Invincible. I've read most of them, but... I, because I, I started reading towards like later episodes, later issues, and then I went back, started reading the hardcovers and like the early issues. So I think there might be a gap in in, in the middle. But anyways, I, I thought it was Science Dog. Maybe they just change it for this, or I, who knows? So he's got it's it's basically this this dog, humanoid dog with like a kind of Doctor Strange cape is what it looks like. So it, William's like, what are we twelve? 
and he says, you know, he's like, you already have a girlfriend and a superhero. And he's like, I don't have games, so this isn't helping. And Mark's like, maybe it'll just make you look better by comparison. He's like, huh. But he has like some pictures. He has like a Magnum. <laughs> it's, it's Tom Selleck, but instead of Magnum PI, it's Magnum and then the pie symbol. <laughs> Which I thought was kind of clever. I think there might have been a Lady Gaga, but it's Lady Yaya or something. There's some other pictures like by by his his bed. But you see, his bed is like really neat. There's like a rug underneath sticking out. He's got the super orderly bookshelf and everything like that. So he's like, oh, good point. Then he shows Mark. He's like, this is a sock. He's like, when it's on the door handle, it means go eat a taco or fly to Spain. He's like, don't come until the sock is gone. And then some guy's like, oh, is this your stuff out here or something like that? So Mark picks up a box of what William calls toys. And he's like, no, they're collectibles. Then Mark looks at, you know, all the kids in the hall, you know, everyone talking, stuff like that. And he decides to throw, he goes outside, he throws all his collectibles into a dumpster. And I was just like, oh. but then before he, he grabs a sand dog action figure, he's like, sorry, buddy. He returns home or returns, returns to the, the dorm. There's a friggin' sock on the door already. So he goes to Amber. She's like, who has sex on the first day of college? And she's like, I don't know, us maybe? And he's like, us? She's like, well, my roommate doesn't arrive until tomorrow, so we have to place to ourselves. And he, Mark's like, uh, I, I mean, yeah, like like right now? And she's like, I mean, we could. He's like, okay. So they, they're on the bed, start smooching. And she pulls out a, a box of condoms from her nightstand. She says she bought them. And then she's like, wait, you don't have like super sperm or something, do you? He's like, uh, it's not, I mean, it seems normal. Not that I would, I think it's fine. And then she's like, and you wouldn't accidentally crush me or, or something. Like when you get excited, I, I've seen what you can do. He's like, no, I'd never, that, that, that's not like, like a thing I would do. So she's like, well, maybe I'll, also, I'll start out on top. So then a narrator's like, oh, let's give them some privacy and, and, you know, turn to the stars for a story that began generations ago. Dismissive, this machination, which is the name of the episode. And it's like, we haven't had a narrator before, I don't think. We begin on the planet Unopa, a peaceful and thriving world. The Unopans have achieved harmony with nature and technology until everything changed in the blink of an eye. And it's like, is that supposed to be a joke? Because these are all like the one-eyed aliens, like Alan the alien. So we see buildings burning, there's bodies on the ground. A dark force invaded, conquered the planet in a matter of days. The ones that died never knew who was responsible. Those that lived quickly learned a name, Voltramite. The Unopan's spirit was crushed. They waited decades for a moment of weakness and rebelled. So they built like lasers and, and these big cannons. Unfortunately, they still underestimated their oppressors. So they like destroyed the cannons and like just tore like aliens apart, just everything like that. Not all was lost. Some were able to escape, abandoned their planet for the stars, started a breeding program to keep their race alive. So then there's this dude, Thetis. He's a, the leader of the Coalition of Planets. He was impressed with their ability to survive. So he, the, the Coalition of Planets invited them um, to the planet Telescria or something like that to join their ranks. So they, they stand against the scourge of the Voltramites. And then Marvin, the Unopen, tells them that they're working on a way to, to, to stop them. The breeding camps were also genetic enhancement program designed to breed a soldier that could defeat a Voltramite in combat. The results were not promising until Alan. So he was the first and only success. From the day he was born, he was trained to be the greatest fighter the universe had ever known. No opponent could match him. So there's like all these like different like fights that are set up. So he had it out, but he still couldn't defeat a single Vultramite in combat. So the program was considered failure and ended. 
But instead, Alan was made a planetary evaluation officer. He was sent to discover any being able to defeat him in hopes of finding an ally strong enough to withstand a Vulturemite. And while he was supposed to be keeping tabs on the planet Wrath or Erath or something like that, I forget what it was, he accidentally went to Earth instead. So his mistake led him to Mark Grayson, half-human, half-Vulturemite, sympathetic to the Coalition cause, because sometimes to change an entire universe, you have to be Alan the Alien instead of Invincible. The logo comes up. So Alan flies home. The narrator says that this time he bears a gift for the Coalition, hope. So he delivers um, some intel. He gets updated on other attacks. This planet, this one planet just joined a coalition, got attacked like right away. So there's this uh, lady, General Telia or something like that. She tells him that they need more allies. And he's like, well, it's a good thing I found one. So he talks to the council. Uh, he's asked if he warned a champion that a Vulturemite lives amongst among his people. And he's like, yeah, I did. But it turns out he's a Vulturemite too. His name is Mark and he's only half Vulturemite. He's like, I know, I know it sounds bad, but he's not like them. He didn't even know what a Vulturemite was until recently. And I think it was like Thaddeus or someone's like, how is that possible? He's like, no one told him, I guess. When he got his powers, all he wanted to do was help other humans. Then his father decided it was time to conquer the planet. So they got in a fight about it. And they're Vulturemite against Vulturemite? That has not happened since the, the Great Purge. And it gets, get this, after they fought, his dad left, like left the planet, disappeared completely. And they're like, we could never trust one of them. Alan's like, Mark isn't like other Vulturemites. He just wants to protect his world. And, but they don't agree with her. For years, we have been looking for a hole in their armor. This could be it. Then Thaddeus, the Thaddeus, whatever the leader, he's like, Alan is right. Vulturemites never abandoned their mission, yet one has. Vulturemites do not battle each other, but a son defies his father. These are weaknesses. The first we've found, the ones we must learn to exploit. Perhaps their grip on the galaxy is not as steady as we imagine. You have done well, Alan, and given us much to discuss. We will call on you again soon. So Alan tells Talia that if there are other kids out there, they could turn against their parents too. But she wonders, you know, why they're breeding with other races because she thought that Vulturemites believed in racial purity. And he's like, well, they should have been asking that instead of yelling at me. Then Thetis comes up and asks for a moment alone with Alan. He, t he tells Alan that he's concerned that this one, the one planet got attacked so quickly. So he thinks word got out from the inside the council. So he basically wants Alan to help them find a mole. So at this point, I'm like, is it Talia? You know, because uh, they seem kind of chummy. So what's going on? So Alan goes to his place. He has this little like cat critter thing. I think his, the name was Borg or something like that. And it turns out Talia's there. So they start making out, so they are really close. Narrator gets frustrated because like tentacles appear out of her. He's like, oh, he's like, perhaps now would be a good time to return to Earth and rejoin Mark and Amber. So, and then we see hands reaching for the box of condoms and he's like, oh, nope. <laughs> so he returns to Alan's uh, place and we hear noises from the other room. So the narrator focuses on the, an open feline. He's like, here's an open feline, look. No <laughs> So Alan and Talia, later they go out to eat at the, like, the space station restaurant. And she asks, you know, what did Thetis want to talk to him about? And he kind of is like, well, I'm not supposed to talk about it. And she like frowns. So he tells her, again, this is the point. It's like, okay, is, he's, is she the mole? So he whispers, he's like, he thinks that there's a mole. He's supposed to, but then 
he gets like ripped, like knocked out of the restaurant. There's like this whole like stuff starts getting sucked out. Telly almost gets sucked out. She's holding on, but then the space station it, like seals itself up. And Alan gets yanked away, hits a few. Poosh, poosh. There's like three vulture mites there. There's like two dudes and a, and a woman. And there's like hitting them back and forth. So then they say to answer their questions and they will consider sparing his life. And he's like, that's not your style. Isn't it kill first, ask questions never? Like, you will tell us everything about your encounter with the vulture mite of Earth. I mean, not technically a question if. And one punches Alan in the gut. So her name's uh, Thula. Uh, she's like, are you certain he sired an heir? Are you certain he abandoned his post? Who told you that? I mean, I mean it. I'd really like to know because then he gets hit again. He like looks towards the space station. You see Talia. She's like in the window. She looks generally concerned. So now at this point, it's like, okay, maybe she's not the mole because she, she doesn't. I mean, she's like worried. She's like in fear for his life. So then he's asked, where's the father now? He's like, the father? Which one was he again? You biclops all look the same to me. So then Thula punches him in the mouth and a couple more times, then the other two dudes join in. They continue for a bit. It gets nasty. He, he, one punch, his eye like gets knocked out of the sockets, just like hanging you know, by whatever, that the one vein thing, nerve. He, they, another one push, punches his arm and it like just punches it off, like rips it, basically like slices through his arm and starts beating him with it. Then Thula, push, Punches a hole through his guts. There's like intestines and blood just like because they're out in space. And it's just like kind of floating and everything like that. And they just fly away. So then he's in the hospital. You know, life support. Talia's like sitting next to the bed. Thetis comes like, how is he? And she's like, alive for now. And he's like, it may not seem like it, but that is cause for celebration. He's like, they once again underestimate the open will for to survive. So Talia's like crying. And, you know, she says that they come here and attack Alan at home. The Vulturemites must know that they've discovered something, something that scares them. And Thaddeus is like, we'll exploit that. So he's like, you should get some rest. I will watch over Alan. Will he? He won't. Because as soon as she's gone, he goes to the control thing. He like lowers the level, a life support, and an alarm quietly rings. And he's like, forgive me, Alan. And then it's like end credits. And it's like, what? Because it's only 22 minutes into the episode, and there's still 27 minutes left. What, what is that? Why would you put credits there? It seems so bizarre. Then it cuts to the Guardians, so we're back on Earth. So it's just like, was this supposed to be a half-hour episode? I don't know. Duplicate is like bench-pressing. Uh, three other copies of her like push her to lift more. Rex walks in and sees them, and he turns around, but then there's another, like, Kate in his way. So then the first one, number whatever, she's like, you know, are we going to talk about this or is it going to be awkward forever? He's like, uh, the second one. And she's like, why do you have to be so immature? He's like, I'm immature. You cheated on me with the mortal. And she's like, that's what you think happened? Seriously? And even if that was true, you were cheating on Eve with me. So he like, scoffs. He's like, okay, but that worked out in your favor. She's like, you are unbelievable. And oh, and Monster Girl's in there on the treadmill, but she's got headphones on. And he's like, and you're gross. The mortal's like 2,000 years old. He's like, you know, and she's like, not that I have to justify anything to you ever, but if you add up the amount of time my duplicates and I have lived, we are probably the same age. Which, how old is she? Like maybe, you know, 20, if, if, if that. And how many duplicates, even if you had a 100, uh, you know, it, how many duplicates would have to be to, to currently live the entire, it's like, no, I don't think she'd be like 2,000 years old. He's like, oh, okay, so I'm too young for you now? Is, is that it? She's like, no, Rex, you're just an a-hole. 
And he's like, well, how's that news? He's like, look, come on, Kate, talk to me. What is this about? She's like, you really want to know, Rex? Yeah, I kind of do. Fine. The immortal's the only person I've ever met who's died as many times as I have. Maybe you don't understand that, but it means something. He gets it. And Monster Girl's like, she takes off headphones and and Rex doesn't. Rex says, I like, oh, you shouldn't be eavesdropping. And he's like, so please fudge the fudge off already. And she's like, it's not your gym, D-bag. And Rex is like, what are you going to do? Knock my teeth out again? So Kate's like, don't be a jerk, Rex. And as uh, Monster Girl is leaving, she's like, too late. And he's like, at least I'm not a cheater. She's like, but you literally are. And he's like, that was before. And, he, and she like groans. He's like, I'm not now. The door opens and Shapesmith walks in. Oh, hello, chums. I'd like to run while remaining in a stationary location. Is that cool, Beans? And Rex is like, where are you from? Like, for real, where are you from? Because he's, he's a Martian, right? I feel like I missed that because I don't have confirmation on that. So then we see Rudy, the kid robot man, you know, whatever, human form. He's sitting in this big control room. He's on the floor. His classical music playing. His brain looks like it's being mapped out or something like that. Monster Girl comes in and, you know, catches him off guard. And he says that he was less than satisfied with his performance against the giant. And she's, uh, you know, because he was scared. And she's like, yeah, fear sucks. And, you know, he got scared, whatever. And he's like, that was un- it's unacceptable. And, you know, she apologizes. She says that sensitivity was never her strong suit. But he's like, no, you're right. You know, he, he doesn't need her to sugarcoat it. So he set up a system so he can try to control his fear response to be a meditation and active thought. And she's like, is, is that a good idea? It's like, you know, people have fear for a reason. You know, it's for a reason. It's usually a good reason. And he says that it's an extraneous emotion that serves no real purpose for someone like him. She says that, you know, she strongly disagrees, but, you know, guess he'll find out the hard way. And she's like, have fun next time you fall off a cliff or something. So she's walking out. Uh, he takes a deep breath. He's like, it's also prevented me from doing something else I wanted to for quite some time. And she like, she stops and she turns around. He's like, will you go to a movie with me? And she's kind of caught off guard. And she's like, sure. Yeah, I'll, I'll go to a movie with you. Then it goes to the community center. There's like some, you know, group therapy thing. This dude, Theo, he's talking about, it feels like vertigo. People talk about the physical symptoms of grief, you know, depression, lethargy, all that. But when the, the thought of her takes him by surprise in the middle of the day, like it's like, he feels like he's falling. He tries to grab on something, but there's nothing there. So Debbie walks in and, you know, Theo's like, it's, you know, terrifying and exhausting. And, you know, he, he just, he still misses her so much. So then the lady in charge is like, oh, well, why don't we take a few minutes to, you know, just collect ourselves? So there's this banners like spouses of superheroes. Uh, Debbie's like at the coffee machine, you know, getting a cup of coffee. And the lady goes up to Debbie. So her name is Carol. And, you know, she gives Debbie some ground, ground rules. You know, we are not that different from other support groups, except we're more strict when it comes to identity. First names only. I think you would be like, oh, how about come up with a fake name? Why do you have to use your real name? If you're only using your name, just call yourself whatever. So you aren't required to share until you're ready. But that's why they're all sacrificing a Tuesday night. So they might as well make the best of it. And then they all sit. This one lady starts talking. So after she's like sending a text to Mark, so you can see she already sent three texts with no response and she changes it to call her when he has a chance. And then she changes it to, I miss you. But in, in a parking lot, Theo's like by his car, he's having a cigarette, I think. 
And he says that, you know, he didn't have much to say his first meeting either. It took him almost a month to talk to anybody. So she mentions, oh, no, she's like, you know, I just dropped my son off at college today. And he's like, yeah, I get it and everything. Then he's like, you know, don't take this wrong way. He's like, there's a bar down the street that some of them, some of us like to go to after group. And she's like, oh, and he's like, well, I just figured, you know, since neither one of us want to go home, you know, no pressure, of course. And then, and she deletes the I miss you text. So Rudy tells Monster Girl that, you know, he's he said how he's watched movies before, but he's never attended one. So they're going to see this movie called Midnight Slaughter. It's a horror movie. And you know, I guess she's like, you just want to check your fear or whatever type of thing. So they go up to the front to the line. Tickets tell her, um, tells them that it's rated R and, you know, so they need an adult. And Rudy's like, how does that change the suitability of a movie for children or whatever? So then Monster Girl, she like had walked off. She turns to some lady and the lady's like, it's fine. They're my kids. They can see the movie. So they, they get their, their tickets and, you know, the, the ticket seller kind of glares at them, but, you know, whatever. So then Rudy and uh, Monster Girl are walking off. He's like, how? And she's like, it may be your first movie, but it's not mine. You'd be surprised what people will do for 10 bucks. And she's like, wait, if this is your first movie, what other normal stuff haven't you done? So after the movie to go to Burger Mart, he's like staring at like a burger and fries. He's like, is this supposed to be appetizing? So then he takes a bite and he likes it. He's like, even though I know it's not good for me. But he like eats the whole thing, and at the bar, oh, and he is like he he realized like that he ate all her fries or whatever. She's like waiter, another another thing of fries, and she's like there's no waiters at Burger Mart. At the bar, Debbie and Theo are talking about you know you know what what do you do afterwards? You know do you move or what? You know and he says you know it, it's good to still be angry, and then um, you know sometimes he still reaches over for Alana on her bed, and she's like Alana, he's like yeah, you know she was the Green Ghost. I guess I just broke rule number one. He's like, it doesn't matter now. She got murdered by that alien psychopath. And Debbie's like, I I didn't know she had a partner. And he's like, yeah, we used to fight about that. She wanted to protect me. And Debbie's like crying. And she's like, excuse me. You know, she has to go to the restroom. Mark returns his dorm room. William is asleep. You know, the sock's gone. So he lays down. And then William whispers, oh, my God, you had sex with Amber. And he's like, whoa, what? I don't know how William knew. So he's, he's, and he's like, how was it? I want all the details. And Mark's like, gross. He's like, no, no way, no. And William's like, we're roommates now. This is what roommates talk about. And he's like, well, what about you? How was Mr. Is this your stuff? And he's like, what are you talking about? And Mark's like, that hot guy from earlier, I came back and you had the sock in the door. He's like, oh, I wish. I must have forgotten to take it off after my demonstration. Wait, you thought he and I, uh, and Mark's like, uh, yeah. And William's like, hmm, super flattered. But I'm kind of still screwed up about what happened to Rick. So he imagined that, you know, they'd be there at, at the college together. Then there's a knock on the door. So William jokes. He's like, oh, it must be Amber for round two. And Mark's like, no, we made plans for tomorrow night. So William answers in a voice like, Mark Grayson. And William just like stares, shuts the door, goes to the bed, sits on the floor, grabs like the sheet, kind of like wraps it around him. And he's like, it's for you. Mark goes, opens the door, sans dog is floating out in the hall. He's like, Mark Grayson, I need your help. Mark flies up, grabs him, slam, kind of almost slam, like not fully, slams him against the, the wall in the hallway. And, and then then brings him inside and up against the wall in, in their, their dorm. He's like, who are you? Why, it is I, science dog. Fight fire with fire, fight evil with magic. He's like, that's me. And he kind of points over to the poster that Mark put up. So then there's like other voices because the door is open. There's people walking in the hall. So William gets up and like kind of holds a sheet open door. He's like, Mark, 
and he's like motioning to the open door. So Mark flies out the window. He like throws Sans Dog. He's like, Sans Dog isn't real. He's a comic book character. He's like, in your dimension, yes. Open your mind and let me show you the other side. And green magic starts to kind of like shining around him. Mark Grayson, I come because Mark flies at him and they fly away. He's like, wait, please, you don't understand. Mark grabs his cape, spins him around, like whips him towards the ground, just lands in his like a crater. He's like, last chance, who are you? What do you want? And then he's like, he starts like changing, whatever. And he reveals he's like this, this fish like alien. And he's like, I'm sorry, my disguise was meant to disarm you. I thought if I appeared as something you love, and Mark's like, disarm me for what? Please, I'm not a threat. He's like, the journey to your world has taken me most of my life. My name is Nulazat. I am from the planet Thraxa. My people sent me here to plead for your help. He's like, it's a, it's a couple galaxies away, give or take. And he's like, how do you know who I am? Rumors of the one they call Invincible have spread like wildfire. You are the only one who can save our people from the meteor showers destroying our world. And he's like, listen, Newell Zot. He's like, I just got to college, man. It's like, I haven't even had my first day of classes yet. And then William arrives panting. He's like, are you kidding me, Mark? Newell Zot came here all the way from, you know, he's like, Thraxa, to beg for your help and you're too busy? How many bug people are in danger? And Newell Zot's like, all of them. And he's like, but like a number. He's like, oh, 42 billion. And, he, and he's like, William's like, don't worry about your classes. I'll cover for you somehow. And William's like, why do you care so much? And William's like, because last time you didn't want to help someone, we both regretted it. So that makes him feel bad. So he flies with him to the ship. Um, he's got Cecil on the comm. He's like, no, you can't go to some random planet with some random alien. Are you insane? And Mark's like, the, and he's in his invincible costume. He's like, the guardians can keep an eye on things. I won't be more than a few weeks, a month top. And Cecil's like, you work for me here on Earth. And Invincible's like, look, a lot of people died because of me, Cecil. This is a chance to save lives, billions of them. And this is an order. Do not go. He's like, and Mark said, what did he say? He says something like, you know, listen to myself before I, li- I have to listen to myself before I listen to you or something like that. And he's like, your father felt the same way. So it's like, okay, you're trying to guilt him now. And Vince was like, well, I'll check in when I get back. And he takes out the earcom and he just like tosses it, which is like, how much does that thing cost? And Cecil just like curses. Invincible tells uh, the alien, you know, they'd have to make a stop first. So he calls Amber and he tells her to look out her window, look up. And she sees a ship up there and he's like standing in like an open doorway. He says he has to go away for a few weeks. He apologizes, but there's lives at risk. And she's like, no, you don't have to apologize. It's like never when lives are in danger. And she's like, that's the deal. She's like, I'm good with it. So, so go. He's like, thanks. Uh, can you tell my mom, please? And he's like, Amber. I, she's like, yeah. And he's like, I love you. But then the call failed. So I don't know if she heard that last part. And then he sits on. He's like, how long will it take? It'll take about six of your Earth days to get there. At the bar, Debbie's outside crying. Theo comes up. Out, he goes out looking for her. And he asks if she's okay. Did he say something wrong? You know, he, she's, you know, she's like, I'm sorry. She's like, tonight, tonight has been, you know, a little much. And she says she hasn't talked to anyone about this. And he says, well, it could take time to heal. But she's like, she can't heal because her husband's not dead. He's just gone. And she's like, he's gone because, because he murdered Alana and the other guardians and almost killed my son too. And Theo's like, your husband, your husband's Omni-Man? And she's like, I thought he was Nolan Grayson, but that wasn't true. The last 20 years of my life have been a lie. <laughs> she starts sobbing. And she's like, I wish he was dead. I wish I could grieve and move on, but I, 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 I can't. And Theo's like, 
I wish she was dead too, but not for your sake. And she's like, <gasps> and he's like, you shouldn't come back to group. It wouldn't be a safe space with you there. And she's like, I didn't know. I, I didn't know who he was. And he's like, you should have. And he goes back inside. It's a little, a little harsh. You know, yeah, he should be angry, but Newell's out, wakes up Mark. So they've arrived. They exit the ship. There's a bunch of aliens waiting to greet them. And, you know, Newell's out. It's like, oh, don't mind them. The monarch wants to meet you at once. And Mark's, or Invincible's like, wait, what exactly is the plan? What about, the, what is it about the planet needs saving? Where are the meteors? And aliens like, meteors? What meteors? He's like, the ones that are killing billions? He's like, oh, yeah, it must be a touch of dementia. We age much, much quicker than you humans, you know? It's like, don't worry. The monarch will explain all. So he reached some shares, and he like he's like, monarch. He's like, this here is invincible of Earth. And Mark's like, oh, oh. So he kind of like bows. And then you hear, hello, son. So, you know, Mark looks up. Omni-Man's just standing up there, like, holding out his hand. And Mark, he's, like, shocked. And he's like, it's been a while. And he's, Mark's like, dad? And that's, that is where the episode ends. So, so here's the thing. I'm, I'm trying to remember. I really don't remember what happened between Omni-Man. Because I know, yeah, I know I've read it. But there you go. So that is uh, this week's or last week's uh, Invincible. So it's, it, it, I'm just, I'm so happy for the show. They, they, they just, it's just such quality, just the animation and the voice acting. And so we, it's just good stuff. All right. Now, Rick and Morty, season seven, episode six, Rick Fending Your Mort. This, this was a, such a weird episode. It, it, it kind of sort of picks up in a way from the last episode where, things are kind of changing for Rick's like what's his purpose because Morty opens a garage and finds Rick drink he's like drunk on the floor and there's like bottles all over the place and he asks he's like uh, uh do you need me for any adventures and he's like huh and he's like you know adventures he's like oh yeah oh yeah, yeah not right now Def- definitely next week though Morty's like you you've been saying that for a while now buddy uh, I, th- I think I'm gonna give you a little nudge by cashing in a few of these bad boys he pulls out these cards and he's like whoa 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 he's like we're still doing a punch card system and morty's like oh never stop and he's like bam read them and weep fully punch cards each entitle me to an adventure of my choosing I, I don't make the rules rick's like yeah yeah i do you little gremlin and i definitely did not stamp all these he's like you never remember to stamp the cards you're always drunk He's like, I didn't know we were still doing this. He's like, this stinks to high heaven, Morty. I'm not accepting these. He's like, I knew you were going to pull this, so I got receipts, bitch. He pulls out, like, binder paper titled Adventure Notes. I kept notes, and he's like, this is gibberish. Isle of, of Morty Sores takes one to no one. He's like, Morty's like, I made up titles for each adventure. You did the same thing for, for that Miss Readathon at your school, Morty. You didn't read poop. He's like, it's okay to lie when you're fighting multiple sclerosis or when you think you won't get caught. How, how are you going to catch me? He's like, oh, you're, you done and did it now, you little man. He's like, don't grift a grifter. He's like, I got friends in cosmic places. He calls someone. He's like, I need an audit. And he's like, oh, right, you're, you're already watching. He's like, I'll come get you. Opens a portal, comes back with what looks like kind of like a slice geode. I am the observer. He's like, oh, yeah, so you're so busted. Look at your face. I observe all. He's like, they observe all, Morty. Cosmic, all-seeing beatings. So? So, they're basically universal body cams, but you can't turn them off before you beat a minority or 
Or in your case, before you cook the adventure books. I don't do that. We're going to find out. Oh, I am here for this. And he's like, I bet a solid 70% of these are BS. And she's like, oh, Morty's like, oh, quit your bitching. I've got nothing to hide. All right, observer, give me truth or dare. And then he complains about the names again, whatever. I have observed it. Now gaze upon me, and so shall you. So they're being chased, shot at. They slide under this like, closed gate of the temple. They get stopped by these two guards. One of us tells only the truth. The other only lies. So Rick's like, you ever bleep this guy's wife? And the guy's like, yes. Well, how about that? He guessed right. So then the guy's like, I forgive you. <laughs> and he, But he's really lying. Swings the axe at him. <laughs> and he, then Maury's like, all right, next room. And Rick's like, no, I want to watch. Back at the garage. I'm not here to nitpick. I'm here to find blatant fraud. Okay, show me a late night Western. So they're on a couch in the living room. Morty's on his phone. Rick has like several bottles around him. He's like, Morty, 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 take me, drive me, take me. Want to go Western bacon, but more Morty, Western bacon now. Because he's so drunk. And Morty's like, oh, opens a portal, comes back, tosses a burger at Rick. In the garage, he's, Morty's like, before you say anything, he's like, I knew it, busted. You're bad from that Carl's Jr. That doesn't make it to drive through an adventure, Morty. Invalid. And the, the, the observer's like, sounds like it's anyone's game. And Rick's like, w- w- well, n- no, it, it's not a bet. It's an audit. And Morty's like, observer, show us maximum overdrive with clothes. So there's a flashback where they're like wearing cardboard boxes and clothes are attacking and like skinning people. Like someone gets attacked, their skin gets cut off. And Morty's like, boom, adventure, suck it. He's like, all right, fine. How about whistling Whistler, whistlering Dixie. So they're wearing like black trench coats with like sunglasses. Rick has a sword and Morty's like a shotgun. So they're fighting vampires. They're basically like, like Blade. And they talk to this guy named Whistler who goes on and on about his first vampire hunting rifle that he made. There's like all these like crazy attachments and stuff like that. There's vampires outside the window and the, the glass is starting to crack because, uh, you know, they're. they're uh, Rick and Morty get tired of listening. So Rick just opens a, a portal. Then in the present, Morty, that was just an old man rambling at us. He's like, people died. So by your logic, 9-11 was an adventure. Tweet it. See who ag- agrees. Very well. Bear witness to 9-11. And they're both like, no, no, no. Then Rick, like, he looks at the list. What the hell is leg day? So Morty opens the door to the garage. He's like, hey, look, Morty. I- I- I'm-, I'm a leg. <laughs> Morty. I'm leg Rick. So he's just basically a giant leg with like Rick's head in there. In the garage, he's like, okay, I'll give you that last one. He's like, what? what? I, I, I mean, I'll take it, but... And he's like, hey, Morty, check this out. He holds up a shirt and says, Rick is... I'm a leg. It's like that. Morty's like, that's clearly unlicensed. And then the observer's like, license this. So then Morty's like walking outside of high school couple bullies come up to him. Hey, Smith, you look hungry. How about a knuckle pie? Punches him, and then Morty's clothes rips off. He turns into this big, giant sailboat. He's like, oh, jeez. You know, he's got a face. Rick's implants. Then the one bully's like, get a truck. And so then they're, like, sailing on him. Then one bully, like, hits the side of him. He's like, oh, this is so good. Or so best day. And then they all, he changes back to Morty, to, you know, from the boat to Morty. They all fall in the water. They're, like, floating on something, some debris or something. They float to this island. 
Morty has no clothes. They have to wear leaves. They drink coconut, you know, water to survive. They make this big SOS with, out of rocks. And then one of the bullies dies, so they have to bury him. The other tries, like, punching Morty again. And again, he's like, change, change back. He's like, I'm trying, I'm trying. And he's, like, punching himself. They're, like, crying. This portal opens up. Rick Cashley steps out. He's like, there's my guy. Come on, Morty. We got to go. <laughs> and he just left the other bully on this island to die. In the garage, the observer's like, rip, big Doug. And <laughs> Rick's like, wasn't even in that one. And Morty's like, who, who cares? It wasn't even on my list. This guy just queued it up. Speaking of cues, what about all those times you two misunderstood each other? He's like, wait, wait what are you setting up? A series of them? And he says that they'll be keyed together with a thematic connection. And Rick's like, uh, I just need to talk to Morty in private for a second, unrelated. He tells Morty, he's like, this guy may be kind of a mistake. You know, he's steamrolling them. He thinks that he's hosting a clip show. He's like, and I don't like his voice. I don't like his voice. I don't like that he's doing jokes. I don't like that he's talking down to you. He's like, thank you. Okay, <clears throat> let's rethink this. I don't think, you know, I don't I don't trust this, but I, 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 I'll accept this card for 70 cents on a dollars. Okay, fair. How do we get rid of him? I'll just pay the a-hole and tell him that he did a great job. They walk in the garage and the, the the observer's like playing the clip. What he's like, he thinks he's hosting a clip show, and I don't like his voice. And Rick's like, okay, should have seen that coming. Uh, that's on us. Seeing is more my thing. Then Morty's like, then you know he was about to pay you. And Tommy, I did a great job. Fine, you caught us. We secretly think you suck. And here's twice what I owe you. That's how little conversation we want to have about you leaving. Rick opens the portal. I've never seen two bigger a-holes, and I've seen all a-holes. Morty's like, then you can see yours out. Bye. In the kitchen, they heat up a couple burritos. Morty's like on his phone at the table. Then he takes a bite, burns his mouth. Rick tells him they should eat in the center because it's statistically the coolest. <laughs> then they hear Rick's voice talking about eating carbs and gaining weight. The observer's out front playing stuff, you know, playing clips. And Morty's like, that's your move? Diet shaming us? Just take the L, man. It's like, this is embarrassing. Oh, I'll show you embarrassing. There's a cyborg space gorilla powering up. Rick and Morty are like in his crater. Rick's intestine and text are, he got shot. He's just like, just all blah. He tells Morty, he's like, D -d do it, Morty. It's, it's the only way to save the universe. How? How is this the only way? M Morty, I'm dying. It's, it's up to you. Morty runs up to the gorilla, jumps up in his face, shoves his tongue in a nostril, starts grossly licking around, and the girl's like, what are you doing? This is saving the universe, I, I, I think. Right, Rick? He turns and sees a portal close. And then Rick walks into this Rick bar, and there's like this chalkboard that says Morty bets. He crosses off, stick tongue fully up in Ape Borg's nose. The other Rick's like cheer. And there's like other other things on, on the list. In the living room, he's like, what the hell? You told me I was the hero. He's like, you were that night. Beth and Summer walk in wondering what's going on. Space, Space Beth asks, is that Angry Stone playing video clips? And Morty's like, it's some weird old grandpa hired to prove that I'm a bad person. Turns out people that take the job aren't fun to be around. He's like, get out of here. 
The si sidewalk is public property, bro. I can observe all I want from here. And Beth says that this isn't their problem, so please make this loud thing go away. Summer's like, yeah, I was studying for a test. No, you weren't. <laughs> and she's like, bleep, rock a-hole. <laughs> and he's like, now you've done it. As they've shamed me, so shall I shame you. Beth has a, a bottle, like, of wine hidden in the back of a toilet. So she's, like, drinking from the bottle. And Summer knocks on the door. Mom, are you in there drinking wine? And she's like, uh, no, I'm pooping. And she's like, bitch, I know the sound of toilet lid moving in the living room. Where he's like, huh, two birds, one stone. And Summer's like, it's more embarrassing for mom. And Beth's like, I wasn't lying. I was going to poop. Jerry walks in. What's going on? Cosmic being playing embarrassing clips out of spite. And Rick's like, damn, Jerry, nailed it. <laughs> I was watching from the upstairs window. Well, watch this, loser. In the kitchen, Rick yells out to Morty. He's throwing stuff out from their last adventures as he want have any use for this diamond. And Morty's like, no, I'm good. And so he just tosses it in the garbage trash. When they leave, Jerry runs to the trash and he starts digging around, pulls his hand out, and there's like 11 syringes sticking out of it. He's like, oh, this is going to be fine. But then later, <laughs> he's like peeing in a public urinal, and the pee, there's this big cloud of like smoke or something like that. It dissolves the urinal and the floor, like everything behind it, and there's like a stream going down. There's like a, to the floor below, there's like this office party, and they have like a, a, a cake and, you know, people are, like, up looking at him as, as the pee stream's going down. He's like, I I'm sorry. It's like, once once I, st I start, I, yeah, I, I can't stop. Back in the living room, Jerry's like, whatever. Everyone knows I'm embarrassing. I'm bulletproof. And Summer's like, oh, my God, this is so sad. Not as sad as you after this. So they're watching the news in the living room. The so-called hottie snatchers have spread to Canada and Mexico. So it takes the most attractive residents and takes them God knows where. Co-anchors like, all Americans, even sub-sevens, are advised to stay indoors. Summer gets up. She's like, BRB, bathroom. But she goes outside. She's like, I need to know. She raises her hand out on a walk. A lady across the street comes out. Summer's like, it's okay. It's not real. They're just doing it at random. And the lady gets grabbed. Then this uh, dude, he's like cut, you know, he comes out just in shorts. He's like, is everything okay? I heard it. He gets grabbed because he's a hottie too. And Summer's like starts sobbing. Then this this older, bald, chubby guy, I think it's a principal, rides up. He's like, you too, huh? He's like, it's not bad once you get used to it. And she's like falls to her knees. In the living room, she's like, I don't deserve this. She, she says that she just walked downstairs. Space... Beth says, well, if Dad's just going to stand there, maybe I should do something, unless that um, somehow tees me up. Walked right into it. Bird person shows a whole and's like, this is our target, Dichotomous. Then there's like a fart noise, and Spaceless like, that was my chair. In the living room, she's like, it was a fart. And Rick's like, bird person always knows. It's true, he's got that beak. Get lost, you piece of bleep. Why? So you can do stuff like this? Rick is passed out on the couch. Morty takes like a 20 out of his wallet. 
plus a, a couple, there's a, some other clips. Then Morty goes out, yells at him. He's like, you suck just because we're going to let you treat our lives like a clip show. And Rick's like, you tell him, Morty. Well, what are you going to do? Beat me up like the piss guy? Morty like shoves him. Hey, not cool. Why, why don't you tee up a clip of me kicking your ass? Morty kicks him. He goes in the street, gets hit by a truck. He breaks into a bunch of pieces. Oh, I'm all rocks now. I never saw this coming. And he's like, these guys can die? I thought they were cosmic. And Rick's like, you know what? I, I say we leave this thing in the street, deny all involvement, and just hope this blows over. Unless, of course, they play this clip in front of a jury with some kind of built-in bias. And they're being watched in, in front of a jury. One says, uh, uh, as an observer, that he tries to stay impartial, but he's not seeing innocence. So Rick and Morty are both bound in like these glowing yellow like ring portal things. They're just like, hanging there. And Morty's like, it's not blowing over. And Rick's like, I tell you to stay positive, Morty, but I do not like the looks of that jury because they're all like geode rocks or whatever. Then Rick says he can't believe he got into this mess over what an adventure is. And he's like, yeah, I guess I can admit I got a little loose with the stamps. And he's like, gotcha. He's like, can a stenographer read back that confession, please? Silence. The killing of an observer is unforgivable. We must now decide whether to end your existence. Your Honor, if everything here has has truly seen everything, they must know that my grandson and I did this whole thing with with giants. Did the what whole thing? This other guy, other geode walks in. I will uh, address that. I am your court-appointed defender, your honor. Observe the time Rick and Morty did this with giants. So we see a clip. The defender calls for mistrial. Uh, prosecuting shows a clip of a gorilla gun and a bully. And the kid ends up getting, you know, um, Morty shoots him. Kid ends up in a body cast. And Rick, you know, in the principal's office, he said it was meant to kill gorillas. He asked the uh, principal to go easy on Morty because this one's on him. He's like, it won't happen again. And then the next scene is, uh, you know, Morty, this is a bully gun. Whoa, cool. Any questions? No, not really. He goes off. This kid jumps out from an alley and demands his backpack. Are you trying to bully me? Yeah. Well, how are you going to bully another bully? He presses the gun to his front, and then he's, like, lying in the garage with a big hole in his chest. And Rick, like, jabs him with some, like, weird syringe and, like, revives him. I feel like this one's... In not entirely my fault. How do you feel? I, I guess okay. Maybe stop giving me guns or... Make them less ambiguous. Way ahead of you. Here, take this. This is a gun. And I want to be really specific here. This is a gun that you only use to shoot bad people. Are we clear? Okay, Rick. What are you, when are you going to use that? So later, he's out with Jessica. They're like walking through the park. This guy pops out from the bushes and says, uh, give him their money. Uh, why don't you take this instead? He shoots, <laughs> and this blob pops out. Guy's like, Jeffrey Dahmer, because it like, changes into Jeffrey Dahmer. And Jessica's like, what's happening? I, I, I don't know. Just run. And the court prosecutor says, let the record show that this bit continued for several more guns. And what, what, what are we guilty of in that one? Being dumb? For being dumb over and over. And the other one's like, aha, your honor, 
Is that not the definition of experimentation? The foundation of silence? Are Rick and Morty therefore not only learning, but also actively learning? Observe this experiment. So at a pet cemetery, Morty asks how long before Ben Franklin comes back to life. Zombie Ben Franklin crawls his way out. Rick shoots him with his like the zap gun. He's like, what do you think will happen if we bury him again? You don't know. This is my first time using a pet cemetery soil, Morty. I, I mean, since we're asking questions, uh, we, we've been here not uh, for so long and my phone's died. It's not going to cha- charge your phone. So you can be curious, but I can't. He's like, bleep, you're right. We're sitting on top of brand new science here. Let's gather some, some data. They push this old car into the ditch. Morty's like, do you think it'll refill the tank? Good pitch. Let's bury that kangaroo just from the waist down. Will only the legs come back? Who knows? Hey, I'm having a great time with you tonight, Morty. And this alarm beeps. Uh, what was that one? Uh, ben Franklin. Remember, we tried wrapping him in tinfoil to see if it would shield him from evil. So they, they get him out. Like, oh, that's hot. Rick opens it. <laughs> it cooked him like a pig at a luau. It's so moist. Rick, that that's a guy. Man, what is this place doing to us? He's like about to take a bite out of him. Is nothing sacred to you too? And he's like, what are these clips? What are we even on trial for anymore? What's anyone on trial for anymore, son? Being good or evil? Morty's like... We're far from evil. We make more friends than enemies. Let's run the tape on that one. So Morty runs into the living room. Hey, hey, Rick, can you make me a churro come to life? On it. Zaps it with a gun. Hi, I'm Churry. And Churry, you want to have some fun? Let's go. They run to this amusement park. They go down this big slide, like the slide with the rugs. They go fishing. They go to Wes Anderson's Grand Royal Hot Tub Emporium. And he tells him, he's like, this was the best time of my life. He goes to Rick. He's like, thanks. He's like, you you can turn it back into a regular churro now. He's like, what? I, I can't turn it back. You asked me to bring him to life. Bam, done. But he's a churro. He doesn't have internal organs, a brain, etc. In order to live, I had to make him functionally immortal. What? Later we see the three of them are in, in Rick's space car. They land on this planet. And there's, like, other churros and a banner says, Welcome, Churi. Then Morty opens the door. He's like, Churi's like, my, my, my family? And he's like, Goodbye, Churi. I'll miss you. Churi goes up to him, and he stops. These are just regular churros. Oh, my God, no. And the, the car takes off, shakes his fist. Mark my words, Morty. I shall leave you as you left me on a barren planet praying for death. In the courtroom... Uh, I'm starting to see why this lawyer was free. And Morty says that they never intentionally hurt people. Rick says it's an adventure. Stuff goes wrong. They don't go out murdering for fun. You know, and then their lawyer's like, oh, here's a clip on that topic. So Morty's on the couch. Rick comes in through the portal, dragging two body bags. He's like, I did it, Morty. I killed a version of us in Space Jam. Help me with the, the bodies. Wow, how'd you do it, Rick? It was, was easy, Morty. They welcomed death. They wanted out. In court, Rick says that they don't get it. They you know they begged him. It was kindness. And the judge says that they've heard enough. No, you bleeps haven't. If we're about to die, at least let me defend ourselves. So the jury seems, oh, I don't know about this. The judge says they'll allow it. No lally gagging. 
I only need one clip, Your Honor, and if it pleases the court, hold on to your bits. Morty goes in the garage. Uh, I, I'm a leg, Morty. You, you like that? Morty turns away. Yeah, I know you do. They're like, we already saw that one. No, that was the other time I did it. And the one's like, that was your Hail Mary? Another uh, whatever judge or lawyer. I held on to my bits for nothing. And they're like, boo-hoo. So the judge finds him guilty. Time to die. The glowing tubes start to get lowered. There's like this big hole like below them. Then it stops. And like, oh, plot twist. And Rick's like, what do you expect? You gave me access to your tech? Look, I'm not saying we're heroes, but in, in the two minutes I've had access to your tech, I can observe you're no better. Let's see a clip. We see this dude is drowning, and observer's just like watching. And the prosecutor says, if the observer was watching, who was watching the clip? Rick's like, glad you asked. He shows that there was another one. One says, you can't shame us for watching. It's who we are. And Rick's like, right. And you'd never take advantage of that. So then we see one is selling bootleg mov movies on the street. Hot copies. Freshly watched. I've got avatars three through six. Friends and family screening. The VFX aren't done, but they're still blue. And back at the court. It's not my fault. I saw those movies. We observe. It's all we do. It's not all. On a planet, there's a couple of like, watermelon dudes by fire. Observers like, I'll give you $20 to fight each other. You know, money, money. As it, as it turns out, you do plenty. You're just as bad as us. The judge says they're not all bad. He just observed a couple bad apples. And the prosecutor gets defensive. Who are you calling an apple? Should we all observe what you did with Tom's wife? And so you see two geos like on top of each other, like in bed. Observe me harder. And it gets like chaotic. They rocks. They start fighting each other in the courtroom. They like smash each other. Rick frees them and he opens the portal. Back in the garage, he says to Morty, "They appreciates what he's trying to do with the punch cards. You know, it's this whole groove things." So and he's like, "Thanks." So is this a stamp, or are you gonna make this count as an adventure? And Rick's like, "How about we just ignore this one?" Yeah, yeah, good, good at call. Eighty cents on a dollar, seventy-five. Done. They get in the car. So what do you say, Rick? Uh, fly through space, come upon something, maybe have a moral uh, objection. Stuff gets messy, and you ultimately bail us out. Uh, let, let's just take it for a spin, Rick. Rick and Morty, we're back, baby. Check out the glove box. Whoa, another gun. And then at school, at his locker, a guy's like, Hey, Morty, see you at the froth mixer tomorrow? Sure thing. He opens his locker, and Churi's there. Ah! He's like, I knew this day would come. Oh, 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 God. Ah! It plops out. This other kid picks it up, takes a bite. Nice. Free churro. Morty goes back to his locker. Whew. Then he's like, ah! At the bottom, written like there's a bag of brown sugar written in the, with sugar. Soon, and that's the end of the episode. Oh goodness! So that was a. Uh, I mean, it was it was like a clip show, but it was like new clips. So it wasn't like your typical clip show. So it's just it's so, so absurd. So that was a uh, Rick and Morty. All right, with uh, Scott Pilgrim takes off, so, so in, uh, in season, episode two, 
it, things, I mean, with the way episode one ended, I joked because, you know, I only had watched the first episode and it ends with Scott Pilgrim dying. You know, it everything is like the same. Uh, you know, the, the band Sex Bomb is, is about to, to play. Scott fights uh, Matthew Patel. But then that's where it veers off because Scott doesn't defeat him. Scott gets defeated and not only does he get defeated, he gets it. And I, I was like, oh, he's dead because there's just, you know, three coins there. And and he is dead. I I, I was like, what? So in, in uh, episode two, a league of their own, Matthew you know picks up right there. He's like, I won. He raises his hand and he like holds Ramona's hand up, and she pulls it away. And he's like, What are you doing? I won. That means you and I are free to get back together, right? He's like, Those are the rules of the league. And she just like walks out. Everyone else is like leaving. He's like. Did, did anyone get that on video? The, the, the fight. He's like, "Is there an after party?" And there's just like one guy like like sweeping up the, the the mess in there. And then Knives wakes up from passing out, and she's like, "Where where is everyone? Is the show over?" And that dude sweeping. He's like, "There is no show." He's like, "The bass player was punched to death." And she's like, "Punched to death?" And she like freaks out. And then Ramona's home. She like dyes her hair, so now it's like a kind of like a purplish blue, like a purple, like dark whatever, and like pink at at the ends. So I was like, "Wait." He's not dead, though. But then it's church service. And there's like a line to go up to the front to, to pay the respects. And Ramona walks up. She ends up going behind Wallace. And she's like, oh, Wallace. And she's like, you know, um, she's like, how are you? And he's like, well, I always like wearing black. This is as good an excuse as any. He's like, you know, love that new hair. And so she sits. And, and then young Neil, he was talking. I, he might have been. I don't know who he was talking to. At first, I thought it was, it was Scott's sister. But I don't think it was. I don't think it was, no, it wasn't Julie. But then he like turns and, and he's like, Hey, you're, you're a girl that got Scott killed. So then we see Steven, you know, he goes up to Scott's picture in, in the front of the line. He's like, ah. he's like, I guess now I'll never know if we sucked, which is kind of nice, but I wish we were under different circumstances. Miss you, pal. Knives walks in crying. Then she sees Ramona because Ramona's like in the, in the last row. She's like, you, you kill Scott Pilgrim. And Ramona's like, I don't know if that's fair. Fair? You're responsible. You're the one to blame. It's your fault. And everyone in the church is like kind of like staring. Some people in line like, oh, this is the most dramatic like service I've been to. The other's like, it's like, oh, it doesn't get more dramatic. Then the narrator's like, or does it? And then this super long limo pulls up outside. So I'm like, what the heck is going on in this show? This is not Scott Pilgrim we know, which is why it's a different show and which is why Brian Lee O'Malley says, like, why would I just do the same story over again? Which is amazing. <laughs> I'm loving it. So this uh, lim- big, super insanely long limo, like SUV limo pulls up and then as soon as it stops, like r- red carpet, like rolls out from the bottom of the limo. All these paparazzi come up. They're like, like they, they're like, are those ninjas? Ninja paparazzi? And they're stepping pictures. Who steps out? Envy Adams. Did we see Envy Adams? Maybe we saw her in a flashback in, in, in the comics. Uh, so Scott's ex, the big one, says on the screen. Inside, like a bunch of like black flags like draped down over the window so it gets like kind of dark in there. She steps in. Showtime. Knives turns to see her. Envy Adams, no way. It's the real deal. And, and as she walks by, you know, other people in the, in the pews are like cheering for her and everything like that. And then, so she's wearing kind of like a black bathing suit, like kind of like Wonder Woman outfit, you know, like a one piece thing. She has thigh high black platform boots and she has this big 
kind of like frock thing with like feathers. It's it's not really frock. What did he call it? Like it's not a bowl. It's like a big thing. Almost looks like kind of wings, like like a cape, but it's like really short. And you know, and she's got sunglasses on, and there's like all these like sparkles around her. First, I thought it was like from the paparazzi, but I think it's just like natural sp- whatever. And then the paparazzi. So again, they're like literal ninjas. They're they're running in, flipping over like the pews and everything to get to the front so to get more shots. And knives like NBS Adams is amazing. So she takes off her big like winter coat, and you know she has a sex bomb t-shirt she takes that off and she revealed you know she has a, uh the clash at the demon head shirt underneath that she's the lead singer of my favorite band of all time Woo! and steven's like the clash at the demon head i thought we were your favorite band and like awkwardly she's like oh well they're my favorite real band sex bob-omb is my favorite band that isn't real <laughs> and then envy has a, a mic I'd like to thank you all for coming out to see me. As you all know, I briefly dated Scott Pilgrim in my pre-celebrity life. And Nive yells, we didn't all know. And Envy continues, and even though he was the least important chapter of the book of my life, and even though I don't remember much of our relationship at all, I thought I'd sing a song in his memory. <laughs> she starts singing, I will remember Sir McLaughlin. So they must have paid. They had to pay for the rights to use that song. <laughs> Obviously. Uh, and R- Ramona's like, Scott dated her? And young Neil's like, crazy, right? He's like, can you imagine having an ex who became a huge celebrity after you broke up? And she's just like, because mm. obviously we all know, you know, Lu- Lucas Lee, right? And I, the other ones aren't really celebrities, but anyways. Then, then, then this big like platform, like how's this church set up? It like you know, it's almost like a pillar thing. Rise up, she's up there, and she's singing the song. It's the same song, but then becomes more upbeat and everything. And we, then we see someone wearing Crocs <laughs> on a skateboard, gets a black envelope with like a number two under. So obviously we know who that is. The mailman, he's like walking, has another black envelope and it like gets sucked out of his hand and like flies through the mail slot into the hand of a, a like a blonde dude with like green and white like wrist, wristbands and has a number three under. So we know who that is. And this girl with like two buns at the top of her hair gets a black envelope number four. So it's like, wait, they're revealing all the X's before we see them because in the original, it's like you don't see them. I mean, we, we got a glimpse of them in the first episode when they're talking about the, the League of Evil X's. But like here, like we're seeing them all, whatever. So it's like, wait, but whatever. And then we see two dudes get envelopes five and six. Those are the twins. And then uh, Gideon's butler gives him number seven. He looks at it. He's like, huh? So he reads it. It's like... Dear Evil X, all seven of you are cordially invited to a very special evening. Location, and you know, so it says on a location, Gideon's secret lair, time 5 p.m., attire, cocktail. And Gideon seems to be surprised. He's like, what? Did I just get invited to my own lair? So Envy finishes the song, drop, mic drop, walks out. Everyone in church like goes out and follows her. The black banners rise up and Ramona like walks up to the front. And she looks in the coffin because it's like an open casket. And the only thing that's inside is like the two gold coin and one silver coin. She's like, I'm sorry, Scott. So he, he's dead. He's still dead. The narrator's like, New York City, America. So at the, the G, was it GA, G-Man media building? It almost looks like it's a GA man, but it must be G-Man because like, it's such a cool name. Right, so Lucas Lee rides up on his skateboard. He gives his his board to the valet, and we're introduced when he walks up to number three, 
with screens like Evil X number three, Todd Ingram, Vegan Rockstar, and Evil X number two, Lucas Lee, Hollywood Legend. So they're like, Lucas, Todd, and Lucas like, heard you started dipping your toes in the waters of the acting game. And Todd's like, I've had a few auditions. And Lucas like, maybe you should stick to the rivers of, and the lakes that you're used to. Let the pros do the pro things. And Todd's like, vegans have perfect photographic memories. I could memorize an entire script just like that. And Lucas is like, I don't even read scripts anymore. I just say the first thing that pops into my head. It's called being in the moment. And then Evil X number four, Roxy Richter, half ninja. So she's there and she's like, is that why half your lines from your last movie were let's party? So she's sitting at this big table and he's like, don't know, didn't watch it. And then the butler gives him a little cocktail drink and Lucas is like, let's party. <laughs> I love Chris Evans. So they're, they're sitting at this big round table and Lucas is like, sick lair, bro. And Todd's like, why'd you bring us here, Gideon? And he's like, I didn't. The person behind this event remains a mystery. And in Evil X number seven, seven, Gideon Graves, he didn't invite them, comes up on the screen. The Roxy asks, who invited the robot? And then you hear, no one did, for it is I who did the inviting, Matthew Patel. Evil X number one, Matthew Patel, he invited them. And then we see Ken, Evil X number five, Kyle, Evil X number six, uh, Kata Yang, Yangi twins. So they, they say that the robot is with them. It's the first one that they built. They call it Robot Zero One, I think. And they, they also gendered him male. So he's like, he's a special little guy. So Matthew, he's like, this party was curated. No plus ones. Punches the robot's head right off. And the twins like, <gasps> and then they start growling. I see none of you took my request for cocktail attire. Seriously. Luke is like, I don't even know what that means. Todd's like, I thought it mean there'd be drinks. I was right. He's holding his little drink up. So Patel's like, I brought you all here because I've realized there's a fatal flaw in our league, a failure of leadership. And then Gideon's like, are you questioning my methods? I'm not questioning them. I'm answering them. And he's like, uh, I, Matthew Patel, defeated Ramona's new boyfriend and got nothing for it. And the twin's like, Ramona has a new boyfriend? The other one's like, sounds like she had a boyfriend. And Patel's like, correct. His name was Scott Pilgrim, and I punched him into the next life. And Roxy's like, Scott Pilgrim? The random Canadian guy whose funeral was inexplicably attended by Envy Adams? She performed a song. It was all over the news. And Todd's like, that's right. My girlfriend, Envy Adams. And Roxy's like, ugh. It's like, we all know you're dating Envy Adams. Act like you've been here before. So Matthew's like, listen to me, all of you. If we win, we don't get Ramona. I flawlessly defeated her precious little Scott, and she still turned me down. And they're all like, <gasps> So Gideon's like, ha. He's like, you're the lowest ranked evil ex. Why do you think you'd get the girl? You were fighting him, so I'd get the girl. And Patel's like, wait, that's your plan? And the rest of us get nothing? And Todd slams his fist down. Nothing? That sounds like a bad deal. So Patel's like, I think this league needs new direction and a new evil ex in charge. So Gideon's like, you really think I'd just hand the league over? So Matthew's like, no, I think I'll fight you for it. You versus me, winner take all. So Gideon's like, I'm Gideon Graves. I own two record labels, a movie studio, 14 animal shelters, and this league. You're a D-plus theater student with delusional Broadway dreams. This is a joke. You're not worth my time. And Roxy's like, sounds like somebody's scared. And Gideon's like, what did you just say? They all say, sounds like, 
somebody's scared. That's what I thought she said. But that's not me. No, 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 no. Nothing's ever scared me. My nickname in school was Fearless. I wore no fear shirts every day. And Lucas like, sounds to me like those shirts were a lie, bro. They weren't a lie. And Todd's like, then it's time for G-Man to put his fist where his mouth is. So I kind of take offense to that, using my name. No, not really. Uh, so then the tables and chairs like retract down. You just made the biggest mistake of your life. Winner take all? That's what you propose? You think you stand a chance against my power? Fine. These are my terms. If you win, you can take it all. The league, my empire, everything. But if you lose, which you will, I take your life. And Matthew's like, I accept those terms. Then it's time for you to be reunited with Scott Pilgrim in hell. Nader, the narrator's like, Gideon Graves versus Matthew Patel. Fight. So they start lots of um, like grunting and blocking. And then Gideon, he gets in a good hit. But then Patel calls his spirit girls to fire on Gideon, which seems a little cheating, whatever. So I think there's like three of them like floating. And they like, just like blast at, at him. Gideon uh, still lands a, a solid punch to, to Patel's face, and then he gets like they were like revive him, whatever. They give him some energy, and then Patel and the demons surround him. They they fall onto a different level, surround this like basketball court, and then Gideon gets blasted, and Patel's like, ha ha ha, still think I'm a loser? And Gideon pulls out this device, pushes a button, click. I do. So there's a bright light. Gideon gets transported down to another level. It's like the floor just like makes an elevator right where he was at. And he's like, time to take this fight to the next level. So he's in his weapons room. Patel and the demons like float down like the opening. Gideon has two swords. Whoosh, slices two demons. They vanish. And Patel's like, ah! <laughs> Not quite like that. There's more fighting explosions. And then Patel like hides in the smoke. And then he like jumps out. He has a... Um, so maybe he had four demons because I think then there's still two. They fire at Gideon. Gideon's like deflecting the blast with, with his blades, kind of like 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 almost like making a spinning spinning the blades around, making a shield. And then the the blasts go back and hit Patel. But then Patel and the two they all fire at once. Gideon keeps blocking. You're a D plus fighter too. And then I think Patel tries running. He blasts through several walls. Gideon, uh, he gets stopped at this like, big vault. And then Gideon comes up from behind. And the two demons like block his swords with their hands. But then still, whoosh, he slices them. They disappear. So Patel like, blasts up. He tries fighting or flying away. They're up on a roof. Gideon like slices down at him, but then Patel manages to somehow form two spirit arms with like a spirit trident to like block the sword. And then the sword. So one sword gets knocked away and Gideon um, can't get past like the, the, whatever the, the trident thing. So then Patel's like, you're mine. And then he finally knocks out the other sword out, out of his hands. So Gideon gets knocked back. He almost falls off the roof, but then he like, grabs onto the edge. And then the other X's are up there. And Luke is like, it's what we in the business call a reversal of fortune. And Patel's like, it's over. And, and then Luke is like, what are you waiting for, Matt? Finish him. Roxy yawns. And this lawyer walks up with a clipboard and asks Mr. Graves for his signature. And he's like, what's this? The result of this fight is legally binding. Everything of yours now belongs to Mr. Patel. My empire? My league? My lair? My home? My, my underwear? Those were the terms. Fine. He signs it. Do it. Put me out of my misery. And Patel's like, no, I want to put you into your misery. So Gideon climbs up 
And Patel's like, this is my league now. I'm the main character. And Lucas Lee like, like fist bumps him when he walks by. And Gideon's like, betrayed by all of you? Lucas Lee? Todd? Twin? Other twin? <laughs> and they all walk away. Et tu, Roxanne? And he, she's like, et tu, eat me. He's like, wait, Roxy, I've never properly appreciated you before. You have something that the other exes don't. And that's why you should join me. We could be a league of two. And she's like, I don't need a league to get a girl. Have a nice life, loser. And Gideon falls to his knees. He's crying in the rain. So it's like, how can he be that easily defeated? By Matthew Pat- freaking Patel? What the heck? Then it cuts to, to Canada. Ramona comes home. Her cat like meows. Ramona makes some teas. She sets a timer for a minute to like to see. And she's thinking about the Scott being there. Then she's lying in bed. And then she's like rollerblading. And she hears like Scott like, Ramona, Ramona, like calling her name in a distance. And she's like, huh? And she like wakes up. And she's like, oh, he's alive. How? Where? That is the end of episode two. Okay, then with uh, the third episode, Ramona runs a video. And I, I know I've said it already, but it's just, I, I lo- I'm blown away. And I love the fact that it's veered off. You know, the story has changed so much from the comic and from the movie. And I think that's amazing that it's not just the same thing again. You know, the original story is great. I, I'm kind of bummed that we're not getting that. But I'm just where is this going to go? And because of my time, I haven't watched the, the rest of the series. So, which, you know, again, it, it, so here I'm only able, I'm only on the third episode, two weeks, and I'm only covering three episodes. So I start to wonder, is like, what, is it going to be too late? Because if you're really into it, you've watched all the episodes and then it's going to, whatever. So with the third episode, it, it starts off in young Neil's bathroom. And then it, uh, changes from black to white black and white to when when he wakes up so i'm not sure where this is going because you know he's, he's reading books he's about writing a screenplay you know he's, he starts thinking about like what if he can die you know after the funeral because you know, he's got death in his mind so he's busy writing a movie and he seems to be like writing and writing and writing but he wakes up he looks at his computer he's like i've written nothing and you know as he's scrolling down so it's like what's going on so he, i guess he's determined you know he wants to basically accomplish something because you know scott's dead so now he realized life is short and he wants to do something more. And he's trying to write a screenplay, but he can't. So then it's night. He's lying in bed. You see like a shadow in his room. There's like someone sitting by his computer while he lies in bed. And he's like, my sleep paralysis demon. And it looks like they're wearing a hoodie and, and glasses or maybe a, a mask or like a hazmat suit. It's kind of hard, hard to see. And, and then it holds up a finger and like a, sh- you know, gesture. So he squeezes his eyes shut and then he wakes with a start the next day. He gets up, walks past computer and he sees huge stack of, of print printout. He's like, whoa, I wrote a feature length screenplay in my sleep. I'm a screenwriter. But it's like, dude, you, you didn't really do it. Did you do it? Or, did, you know, did someone break in and do it? Or was, babe, I don't know. So then Ramona, she dyes her hair. So it's like red and like blonde at the, at the, the ends. I love the, it just, it totally reminds me of my daughter. Cause my daughter is like constantly like, you know, changing or adding to her hair or something. So we, she go, Julie's working in a coffee shop and Ramona walks in and she's like, Oh, you changed your hair. And she's like, what's up Ramona? And she's like, Oh, nothing. Just someone kidnapped Scott and faked his death. And she's like, you're bleeping joking. She's like, and Ramona's like last night, in my dreams, I saw Scott's subspace highway and I heard his voice. And Julie's like, subspace what? She's like, it doesn't matter. I, th- I think it means he's still alive. 
So she says, you know, she went back to the rocket, the, the club, to look at the security footage of what they thought was Scott's death. And she's like, someone grabbed him and pulled him into a portal. So, you know, you, you can see a hand, like, tosses the, the coins out. Somebody wants us to think Scott's dead. And, and Julie's like, I knew it was too good to be true. Because she doesn't like Scott. So then Wallace comes in with some guy. He was out all night. You know, he might still be drunk. He heard them saying that they think Scott's still alive. And he's like, if you see him, tell him I changed the locks. And if you see me, remind me to change the locks. So it's like, dude, I guess you don't like Scott either. And yeah, he was annoying Mooch, but I would think he'd, he'd care. So Julie asked Ramona, "Is like, why would someone kidnap, kidnap Scott? And why would they get my hopes up making it seem like he was dead? Ramona's like, I haven't figured that out yet. And she's like, yet? Don't tell me you're going to try to find him. And Ramona's like, I think I have to. And, and she's like, Ramona, I don't see how any of this is your responsibility. You went on one date. How good could it have been? And she's like, honestly, great. So Julie's like, what's your next move, Columbo? Which I think she mentioned, didn't she mention she watched Columbo as, as a kid? You know, she didn't watch Sonic or whatever. And she's like, you know everyone, right? I thought you'd give me a rundown of the major characters in Scott's life. And Julie, like, more like major suspects. So she's like, well, there's Stephen Stills, my ex, the singer of the band. He's a mess. Too much anxiety for even the simplest decisions. No way he could be the mastermind, you know, behind a kidnapping. Then there's Stephen's roommate, young Neil. He's kind of sheltered, and he's only 19. But don't let that fool you. He's an idiot. He makes Scott look like a genius, which isn't possible or something like that. And then Ramona's like, what about Envy Adams? And she's like, oh, boy, the big one, Scott's ex. She pulled Scott's heart out of his his chest and stomped it all over with her patent leather boots and that was before she wanted to become uh, become a global sex symbol everyone was like i saw her do the thing at the funeral she's even hotter in person are we sure that they dated and julie's like yeah you're obviously not the only one with questionable taste ramona he's like you should talk to his other ex she's known him longer than anyone and ramona's like okay who is she so then we see steven sitting with kim and, you know, he's wondering what are we going to do without Scott because he really added something to band. And she's like, bass. He added bass. And seems like, right, exactly. It's like, can we have a band without a ba bass? And then, <gasps> what if we find a bass player and they make us worse? So Kim's like, the odds are they'd make us better because we probably sucked. And there, there's always Scott's understudy. And she's talking about knives and Stephen like freaks because she's sitting there in the room when, you know, because she's strumming on the bass. And Kim suggests that, so he he leaves. Kim suggested to him play something for fun. So they played, and Stephen comes back, and it's it's pretty good. And he's like, "How long have you been playing bass?" And she like looks at the clock, or whatever, and she's like, "Oh, about four hours." Then Kim looks at the time. She's like, "I'm late for work," so she has to leave. So Kim works at No Accounts Video. Uh, she comes in. She's like, "Sorry, I'm late." You know, there's this lady behind the counter, Holly. Uh, and then Ramona comes up and Kim shows her like the wall of shame section. Most wanted owes us 3,500 Scott. Kim says that she thought he, maybe he faked his death to get out of paying his late fees. And Ramona's like, well, you're half right. And she's like, which half? He's not dead. So then Kim's like, so you've been using Scott's unconscious dreamscape to deliver DVD quicker. Ramona says, you're the first person in Canada to understand that. And Kim's like, well, no wonder you're putting us out of business. Canada? No, video stores. So Ramona's like, Julie said you knew him the longest. When did you meet? So we get a flashback to school. She says that, you know, he, he said he was good at drawing, but then you see him younger. He's like, maps are hard. If I had to draw a sheep, though, I'd draw perfect. And young Kim says, a sheep? Draw me a sheep. He does. That's the worst sheep I've ever seen. 
he's like, what are you talking about? The sheep is excellent. And she snickers. So she says, he was always an idiot, but one thing led to another and, my, and to my continued embarrassment. And so Scott Pilgrim became my first boyfriend. And, and she's like, is Scott drawing you a sheep, your most romantic memory? Kim says, well, there was one time I was kidnapped by a rival school and Scott had to fight through an entire army of teen jerks and their leader, Simon Lee, to rescue me. Everyone was like, that's a romantic memory. And Kim's like, yeah, but how romantic can a memory be if things still ended terribly? And she's like, well, you're still friends. That's got to be a good sign. He's got to be a lovable idiot, right? Kim says, hmm, you like him, don't you? And she blushes a bit. She's like, there were sparks. Kim's like, you're in trouble. And Romo's like, why does this always happen to me? So Kim's like, I don't know. Maybe you could ask one of your seven evil exes. I kind of assumed they'd be your first suspect. And Ramona's like, I'm not in a hurry to see them. So they're like in, in the back, back uh, like by the shelves. So there's a customer keeps like ringing a bell for service. It turns out to be Roxy. And then she's like, huh, this is unexpected. And then Kim's like, well, you better get better at, at expecting. And she's like, you two know each other? She's like, we're college roommates. And Roxy snarls, and more. So you're, and then she pulls out a sword. Roxy Richter, Ramona's fourth evil ex. Fourth? What about two and three? And she's like, four ain't nothing but a number, baby. Besides, the league lies in ruin. Here I am. A Roxy, <laughs> Roxy like a hurricane. So Rocky like a hurricane. And she's like, what? Why are you even here? And she's like, shh, shh, shh. I'm here for us, Ramona. First in line to win your heart because I have something that others never will. Emotional intelligence. None of these boys know how to talk about their feelings. Rona's like, what you fail to mention is that when it comes to feelings, you're as clueless as the boys. Roxy's like, that's so unfair. You're just impossible to talk to. Rona's like, you want to talk about feelings? Start talking. And she's like, I got a better idea. Let's fight about them. And then Roxy Richter versus Ramona Flowers. Fight. So Roxy leaps and like slashes a, a couple times. Ramona reaches a purse, pulls out her big gigantic hammer. She's like, are we really doing this? And then like, doosh, like into, into the ceilings. And uh, Roxy's like, ah, Ramona, you bleep. More fighting. And then a shelf of, of movies falls on both of them. Ramona finds herself like in a black and white old movie. And Roxy comes flying at her with her swords out. And then at the, at the store, Kim and Holly, uh, so Kim or Holly's a, the co-worker. They're watching the, like the fight on TV, and then Holly says that they're ruining her movie. Then it switches to you know they're fighting in color in a stairwell. Roxy jumps down at Ramona onto like a lower landing, but then freezes because Kim paused it, rewinds it a bit. So Ramona kind of takes advantage of the distraction, whacks her through, and she goes like, like several different levels and movies or whatever. Then she smashes out, lands in store. So she grabs her remote from Kim and she smashes it with her sword. And then Ramona grabs her and they end up on top of a train like in the desert. And she's like, I don't want to fight you, Roxy. And Roxy's like, are you going to run away like you did back then? So Ramona thinks back. She's like, Roxy, I... And they exchange like several punches. And then they're like in a fighter plane. And, you know, there's this big hole in the side like it got hit. Then they, they, like, they're staggering to their feet. And Ramona's like, Roxy, I'm sorry. And she's like, for what? For leaving the way I did. So Roxy thinks back, she's sitting at their place. It's like raining outside. Ramona's like stuff is packed up and, and Roxy's just like looking sad. So Ramona's like, I was too afraid to face you. So you left without a word. You made me feel like nothing. You are afraid. Good for you. All I wanted was for you to see me. And she's like, I'm sorry. And Roxy glares at her. Apology accepted. That doesn't mean I'm going to let you win. 
the plane starts getting shot at from outside. So then some big crates become, come unlatched because, you know, they're like strapped down. One starts sliding towards them. Roxy gets hit. Ramona calls out her name. Roxy grabs Ramona's ankle. And Ramona's like trying to grab onto anything, but there, there's nothing for her to reach. And like she's even trying to dig her nails into the floor. They both go sailing out of the plane. Then everything changes and they're falling over. There's like sp like sparkles and like random objects and, and all, all this stuff. And and then uh, they Roxy slams into like a cactus or something like that. And she's like knocked out. Ramona calls out, reaches for her and grabs her hand. And Roxy regains consciousness sees her like falling together. So it's like, what, what's going on? So then they're lying on the floor at the video store and the sprinklers are on and everything. So Ramona's like, as far as I'm concerned, you won. College doesn't seem that long ago, but we were pretty immature, weren't we? And Roxy says she can't remember the last time she hung out with just the girls. Ramona says, you know, they're just like sitting here watching movies now at the store. And Ramona's like, snacks aren't free, you know. And she's like, come on, fight, fighting makes me hungry. And Ramona's like, you were really kicking my ass. And she's like, you're not just saying that? Ramona says, I never just say anything. And she's like, nice, should we kiss? And Ramona's like, uh-uh, I have unfinished business with Scott. And Roxy's like, emotional business? He's dead, Ramona. Ramona's like, he's not dead. It, It's complicated. I've got to find him first. But I'd like to be your friend. With benefits? And she's like, no benefits. Worth the shot. Then to Kim, she's like, what about you? And she's like, and Kim's like, oh, I'm not. Hmm. So she gets close. You know, she gets, gets close to Roxy. They start kissing. And then Roxy's like, no sparks. Eh, worth the shot. Then she's like, what about your hot coworker? Is she coming back? And Ramona's like, okay, time for you to leave. You know, at least I have one less suspect. Roxy didn't even know Scott was alive. That was a productive day as far as I'm concerned. Julie's like, well, everyone needs closure. That's why they call it closure. Not, or no, Kim, not Julie. Kim said, says, says that. Okay, that's why they call it closure. Now you're one step close, closer to the dumb boy, your dreams. And you buried the hatchet with an X, multitasking. So Ramona picks up like a video standee and it's Lucas Lee. And she's like, Oh, don't tell me I'm going to have to do this with all seven of them. And Kim's like, Hollywood legend, Lucas Lee is one of your exes. Ramona's like, unfortunately, and she's like, damn Ramona. I, I know he's a handsome, big chested devil may care Hollywood D bag, but is he evil enough to kidnap a dude and, and fake his death? Only one way to find out. And then outside the robot from the twins takes a picture. It gets mad because someone puts a banana peel on it. I think it's a trash can. <laughs> so Julie walks home in the rain, you know, she gets off her train, whatever. She makes it to her porch and she sees Gideon Graves walking like inside the house. And she's like, Gideon Graves, G-Man. And he's like, so you don't remember me. And she's like, huh? Gideon Graves wasn't my birth name. It was an identity I created when I moved to New York city. I left my past behind me and leveled up. But back in the day, you knew me by another name. So he takes off his glasses. Well, she's wearing glasses. Did he write the screenplay? I, that wouldn't make any sense. So he takes off his glasses. Then she's like, uh, and she gasps, Gordon? Gordon Goose from North Bay, Ontario? And then she whispers, fearless? Then you do remember me. You may be the only one who does, Julie. I, I've lost everything. My empire is gone. My billionaire friends have shunned me. Even my millionaire friends have, have turned their backs. I couldn't even get a reservation at McDonald's. They laughed at me when I called. So I wonder if they laughed because you don't need reservations at McDonald's. I don't know. So I spent the last of my pocket money to get bus fare to Toronto just to see one sympathetic face. And he starts crying and Julie like turns, opens the door. Like she's it's like, okay, whatever dude, she's going to go inside. But then she stops and she's like, Gordon, get your butt in here. And then he sighs and then you see their sparks. 
there's sparks you know they're not kissing but there are sparks by them so maybe that's going to mean something and that's the end of the third episode so next week we'll see i mean i'll, I'll try to do two more but I, I feel like there's a lot we'll see all right now monarch legacy of monsters so as i mentioned earlier there are now three episodes that came out they dropped two the first week one this past week um, I'm, I'm really not sure, or we'll see how, how it goes. I, I've watched the first two episodes. I, I, I feel like this episode is getting too long, so we'll, we'll see. Episode uh, one, Aftermath. It's really cool because it starts off at Skull Island 1973. You see like some footage from, like I'm assuming, from the Skull Island movie. We see William Ronda, John Goodman's character, uh, he's, at first I was like, is this, did they read, I think this was new footage. He's recording like a message to maybe his kid or something like that. He, he says that, you know, he can't take back the mistakes he did, but perhaps he can leave something, a legacy. And there's like this big spider creatures like chasing him. And then he like drops a big camera, you know, as, as he's running, he comes to like the ocean. There's kind of like a little, little cliff, not like super, super high. He tosses this like bag that he has into the water. And then this giant crab creature pops up out of the ground and starts fighting the spider. So Randa like tries dodging or thing like that. And then, uh, the two, the, the spider and the crab, they both go over the cliff into the water, and then he sees like the bag like floating away. So it's like, well, you didn't have to do that, but it went over. Then it fast forwards to 2013, Sea of Japan. Fisherman brings up a net like onto their boat, with, like you know, a bunch of fish. They all the fish get stumped on deck. You've seen it, you know, a bunch of times in movies and shows. The bag's in with the fish, and it's still sealed, and it says property of monarch. And some guy like sees it, grabs it, and sets it aside. So then it cuts to, there's a lady on the plane, Kate. I don't think she was in the Godzilla movie, the, the 2014 movie. But so she's looking at like this document, you know, she lands in Tokyo. She starts to get up, but then the dude next to her tells her they have to wait. And these two hazmat dude comes in with like some mist spray, you know, it's like spraying out all the passengers and it's supposed to be for decontamination. So the dude said it's, it's all about giving them the illusion of safety and he's like, like spraying us for parasites would help prevent another monster attack. So then, and she gets some sort of flashback of soldiers in gas masks after the, the Godzilla attack in San Francisco. So then in the airport, there's like even signs and arrows on the floor with like a kind of like a, an outline of Godzilla. And it's like Godzilla evacuation route. So Tokyo's all prepared for this. She has another flashback to the, the Godzilla attack. She then when she gets accustomed, she says that she's there because her father died and she's settling his affairs. So her passports get stamped. It's April 1st, 2015. So we know it's like right after that, that Godzilla movie. So we know where it takes place. She takes a, a taxi and she sees like no Godzilla, like, you know, Godzilla with the, the circle with the line through it. And she sees like some like missiles and stuff set up. The driver's like, yeah, the government is spending lots of money, missiles, drones. And he's like, are you in the trade? And she's like, the trade? He's like, monster prep. It's big business now. And she's like, well, people always find a way to profit off someone else's tragedy. And he's like, well, more profit than tragedy. And she's like, what do you mean? He's like, San Francisco was a hoax. They did it with CGI. And she's like, well, that's quite a revelation. I mean, even though it's like, dude, she was there, but he doesn't know that. And he's like, well, there's more. I have a podcast. So podcast. Yeah, I guess that makes sense. 2015, there could be a podcast. So she arrives at the address that she gave. Um, her mom, she's talking to her mom on the phone. She's like, are you there yet? Well, you didn't call me or like that. So she, she goes in, in this apartment 
place is very tidy there's like this almost like a memorial like this big picture of her dad like on a like a, a dresser table thing whatever in the living room there's a wall of all these pictures on the wall and then there's like a lady in the kitchen and she like creaks out she drops like a dish or whatever she had and she's saying in, in japanese she's like who are you what are you doing here and kate takes a picture off the wall and she's like put it down put it down and then this younger dude comes running in he's like what what what's going on and she yells, like, holding, Kate yells, holding the photo up. Why do you have these pictures? So that the kid's like, they're family pictures. And she's like, what? And, and he's like, how did you get in here? And she's like, I have keys. So then the kid's like, where did you get those? And she's like, I found them on my father's desk, along with a lease for this apartment in his name. And the, the kid, the kid, he's not really a kid, but, you know, he's younger. He's like, I don't know who your father is, but this is our apartment. And she points a picture, in it, that big picture. She's like, this is my father. So then it cuts to Kazakhstan, 1959. So we're, we're taking a, a little little detour. We see Lee Shaw, who's played by Wyatt Russell. So Kurt Russell, you want to know Kurt Russell? He's not in this in the first episode, but you know, we know that he's going to come up in, in the past or in the, in the present later. He's with this other dude, which is, is Bill Ronda. And, you know, so Ronda, we, we got that. Um, he goes by William or Billy or whatever. And there's this lady. I wasn't sure this, this lady, if her, her name was Amiko, but they call her Kay later. So they're in this car they're, they're, and they're following like some radiation. You know, you got like a Geiger counter, some, some readings. And then, then they, they finally get to this location. They put on, on gas mask and Lee. So Kurt or Kurt Russell's kid, he says that, you know, it's his job to keep them alive. So the other two are like scientists or whatever. The radiation is like, it's like off the meter when, when they get to the gate. Cause you know, it's like closed office restricted. So then Kay, um, you know, she's, she's like w walking with the, with the thing. And then they come across this guy with a gun. He's like hunting. So Lee pulls out his gun and just like the standoff. Then Kay takes off her mask to try to calm the situation. Try to keep your mask on whatever. And then she tells him that she's, she tells the, 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 the young guy with, with the gun, he's got like a rifle and she's like, we're scientists, you know, we want to help. So, and you can see his, has like animals, like dead animals hanging on to him. And she's like, if you eat the animals you caught, you could get sick. Your family could die. So then he like puts his gun down and he's like, do you mean the contamination? He's like, it's a fairy tale to scare away the curious. And she's like, why are, what are people so curious about? He like hesitates and then he says, well, the old folk say the government burned through uh, the whole, you know, burned through the, the earth all the way to hell. And she's like, do you believe that? And he kind of shrugs and he's like, see for yourself. As they, they walk, the trees start getting more barren and everything. And, and then Kay says, she's like, there's no radiation here. You know, because she's looking on her detector and there's like absolutely nothing there, even though it's like so high before. So she's like, maybe the fairy tale is right. And the present, so the kid at the apartment, his name is Kentaro. He says that to his mom that he's like, she doesn't even look like him. That Kate doesn't look like, like their dad. And mom's like, but she has his keys. And then he tells Kate, he's like, prove it. And she like chuckles. And she's like, you know, where's your proof? A bunch of pictures. She's like, I've got pictures. She takes out her phone, holds one up. This is us camping at the Redwoods. He got poison oak and had these horrible red blotches all over his arms. Drove him crazy. Ring any bells? goes to another one this is our backyard he built me that that playhouse for me when when i was five it's like one weekend when he was actually home and she's like oh here's a good one i bought them a sunset cruise for their wedding anniversary 30 years that's an accomplishment how long were you and she like looks to his mom how long were you married to him and he's like don't talk to her like that so his mom doesn't really you know, speak english 
And Kate's like, I'm not judging her, but aren't you even curious who, you know, who he was cheating on first, your mother or mine? Then he doesn't answer that. He's like, what do you want? The mom finally cuts in and she's like, can you tell us anything? We've been waiting, looking, but Hiroshi's gone. And Kate like stares at both of them for a bit. Then she's like, I'm, I'm sorry I barged in here. Let's just forget this happened. And she gets starts walking out. And he's like, are you kidding me? And the mom's like, please help me understand. And and she's like, I, I wish I could. Because I, I think her mom's like speaking like very little English at this point. And she's like sets the keys down like on a, on a table. In the past, Kay says that she's not reading anything. They're walking. There's like this decimated city. They do, they, they I, at first I thought they were doing soil testers, you know, getting samples, but they're really like setting charges. And, you know, they're, they're complaining about the, you know, it should be in a diamond shape and this, whatever like that. Uh, but then they, they, the, they set off the charges and the ground starts cracking. There's like this big tower by them starts crumbling a little bit. <laughs> but it's like, they don't run or anything like that. It's like, you just set off like seven charges throughout the city. Kate's mom calls her as she's like walking down the street, uh, you know, she's on, on the phone. So then she tells her, she's like, there's nothing here. And mom's like, what? Was, like, what? What, was someone there? And then Kate's like, did you know? And her, her Kate's mom's like, what did you find out? And then she's like, I got to go. And her mom's like, whose apartment was it? And she's like, it's his. But then the call drops and this alarm kind of goes off on her phone. And also in the city, people start running and Kate gets like bumped hard and she like falls. Then Kentaro helps her up. His mom is with them. And he's like, it, she's like, what's going on? And he's like, it's an early warning system. Warning for what? And the mom's, Kentaro's mom's like, Godzilla. So then they go to, you know, the building. There's a Godzilla sign with an arrow. They go down. It's like subway terminal or whatever. And then he says to Kate, he's like, it's probably just a drill. And Kate's like, how long do we have to stay here? And mom says, and I think in Japanese, she's like, we have to wait for, and in English, she's like, all clear. And Kate's like, what if it's not a drill? And Kentaro's like, I thought you're from San Francisco. You know better than we would. And then mom's like talking to Kentaro in Japanese. And he's like, she wants to know if he was with you. And Kate's like, like what? It, when it happened, was he with you? And Kate's like, what difference does that make now? He's like, you don't think it would have made a difference if he'd been here with us instead? And she's like, no, he, he wasn't with me. So then there's a flashback. She's on like a, a like a school bus. It's like rocking. It's on a golden gate. Godzilla can be seen. So this was from the movie. But again, I don't remember if she was actually on the bus that they showed that or whatever. Part of the bridge collapses in front of the bus. The bus driver gets knocked out. But, you know, the, the front of the bus is kind of hanging over. So she tells all, all, everyone on there, she's like, I'm going to get us out of here. She goes to the back. She opens the emergency exit. And she the thing rocks. She gets like jolted out. You know, she falls out of the bus. Godzilla roars oh, practically like right at her, kind of turns turns his head at her, and she's helping the kids get off the bus, but then the bus gets hit by some debris, falls over, and she's like, no, because there's still people on the bus. And in the present, she kind of starts freaking out. She's like, I got to get out of here. But they, like, try holding her back, and the mom, like, holds her, tries to calm her because there's some soldiers, like, walking up, like, what's going on? And then she sits Kate down, and she gives her, like, a big hug. And then she's like, I'm fine, I'm fine. In the past... Uh, the the three uh lee billy and uh k they go up this tower they look down or they go into start they see like a big hole and there's like lar larvae or like eggs down there and they're kind of glowing then they're like so the mom must be nearby and william says like well we need a sample and so lee's hesitant because you know he's just protecting them 
And William says, it's a new species. Like, we have to. And Lee's like, well, not if it gets us killed or, you know, gets you killed. And William's like, then, you know, why why are we here? In case, like, Billy's right. Like, we're not going home empty-handed. And she's, like, hanging on the other side of her railing. So they're trying to convince her to come back over. But she's like, no, I'm the lightest. It's like, you can pull me up if, if I get in trouble. And Billy's like, I'm not letting you go. And she's like, letting me? So Billy and Kay are, like, together. And then he says... Then finally, he's like, she's right. It's got to be her. And Lee's like, stop. He's like, both of you. He's like, I need to know exactly how much time you know, you need down there to get a sample. And she's like, five minutes tops. So he says that he's going to go with her. At the subway station, everyone's sitting. The all clear sounds. And mom's like, see, all clear. And then, and it's funny, the announcement's like, all clear. Emergency, emergency alert has been canceled. Please resume regular life. <laughs> it's like, okay, resume your regular life. You're not about to get killed. The city's not going to get destroyed by Godzilla. As they're walking back, Kate's like, so everything just goes back to normal? And Kentaro's like, well, what should we do? Run home and hide in the closet? The mom says something to him. He kind of hesitates, and he finally's like, she's asking if you'll come have tea and talk about your life. Kate's like, that's very kind, and you can tell her, I'm saying whatever you want right now. And she kind of like keeps smiling and like looking at his mom. She's like, but I can't imagine anything I'd like to do less than have tea with the woman dad was cheating on my mom with. And then she, you know, she's just like smiling and everything like that. And he's like, yeah, well, from our perspective, your mother was the other woman. And Kate's like, that's fair. I'm going to go now. And he's like, did you get the answers? You flew halfway around the world looking for something. Or, or what these unlock, he's like, has the keys. He's like, all you found was dad was apparently a lying a-hole. Is that enough for you? And Kate's like, I guess it'll have to do. He's like, you think our father was so bad? I want to show you something. So he takes her just to go to, like, to his office. And she's like, okay. And he's like, look around. You know, he wasn't who you say he was. And she's like, maybe you just didn't know him. You know, but I got to give it to the guy. He had two families and still had time to be obsessed with work. He's like, it was important. And she's like, please, do you even know what he did? He's like, software for satellites. This case, like, software for satellites. Did you ever meet anyone he works with? Ever get invited to take your kid to work day? Or, you know, she's like, what do you do anyways? Let me guess, computer engineering? Something that would make dear old dad proud? And she pulls on this big sheet, like, tacked on the walls, or like, stuff, like, kind of like, out of frustration. He's like, hey. But then there's a safe behind it. And she's like, what's in here? He's like, I didn't know it was there. So she tries opening it. She's like, what's your birthday? And, you know, she like, doot, 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 doot. Doesn't, he's like, stop doing that. And she's like, I thought you wanted to introduce me to your dad. Show me something that I didn't know about him. Because the only thing in this room that isn't old news to me is this. And it was the safe. So he's like, July 7th. Beep, 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 beep. It doesn't work. And she's like, what about your mom? He's like, he wouldn't be that obvious. And Kate's like, afraid of what we'll find? So he's like, August 17th. Beep, 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 beep. Nope, doesn't work. And he's like, keep that up. You're going to get me locked out. She, she tries again. He's like, seriously, stop. He's like, I, I'll never get it open. But then there's a green light. And he's like, how did you do that? And you know, she's kind of like frozen because she didn't think it worked. But it's like crazy how she just happens to think of this. She's like, your birth month, my day, your mother's month, my mom's day. And she opens it. There's a satchel with like the, the, the videotapes. There's like something in there. She's like, smells like fish. And she sees uh, the Monarch logo on there, and it says property of of Randa WJ. So this must be Williams, right? Which is, uh, we saw him 
in, in the past. So I guess that was John Goodman when he was young. So then there's a flashback to her walking in the rain past the soldiers. She sees a dude with like a Geiger counter or something like that. It has a Monarch logo. And then Kate's like, I need to know what, what this is. And Kentaro's like, it's some kind of old data storage. It's, it's private. And she's like, I'll make you a deal. You help me and I'll get out of your life forever. And then he's like, I, I might know someone. So they go to some lady named May. She's like eating something, you know, outside of like some little like food stand place. And he asks her, he's like, is it like 80s? And she's like, no, it's more like the 70s. And she's like, she tells him that she can't just drop everything to help him. She's like, life moves on. Then he's like, I, I can pay you. Not much, but make it worth your time. And she's like, pay me? You want to pay me? And she's like, okay, whatever. She gets up. And Kentaro tells, he's like, wait here. He tells Kate to wait there. So he goes after her. And he says, he's like, we can keep this professional. And she's like, is that what our relationship is now? Transactional? Or was it always that? And I just didn't see it. He, he's like, I said I needed some time. And she, May says, and I gave it to you. You don't get to ghost me for months and then show up out of nowhere treating me like tech support. He's like, I'm sorry. And then she's like, and why should I do poop for you and her? Really? Is that for real? He's like, I don't know. But my father had that old data in his safe for a reason. If there's something on it that can explain this or prove she's lying. And Kate comes up. She's like, is everything all right? She's like, I, I paid. She paid for the food. So they go to Maze. She starts working on, on the tapes. You know, she takes it, like, opens up the case and takes, like, the, the tapes out. It's like, you know, real tapes on whatever. She puts it in this other machine. She starts it, and she says that it's encrypted, but, um, you know, encryption comes, you know, has come a long way. And, you know, she says what was military grade 40 years ago is, like, off the shelf now. Then on this other computer, there's, like, a system alert, and there's a Monarch employee just getting alerted the tapes being viewed somehow, which is like, a, how's that work? So she calls someone and she goes down to some dude's office and, you know, she puts on the screen and she's like, someone tried to run it through some online decryption software. It's got a monarch recognition code, recognition code embedded. So it pinged back to us. And he's like, how much did you get? She's like, not much, just a few megabytes. You know, whoever has it is being careful. So they ran a small sample through the decrypt that immediately took it down when they saw that the software worked. And he's like, did you get an IP address? And she's like, just a general area, Tokyo. Then she's like, uh, do you want me to, to kick this up to Verdugo? He's like, uh, I'll uh, take care of it. And she's like, are you sure? Because after G-Day, Verdugo said that she wanted to see everything. And he gets up and he ushers out. He's like, you know, I, that's okay. Thank you. You know, you did a great job. It was very helpful. And, you know, good, great job, great job. Then he calls someone. He's like, how's your Japanese? At May, the files are, are popping up on the screen, you know, one after other. And, you know, a lot of them are redacted and something like that. And May says, like, there's a lot here. And I think Kate's like, is that Bigfoot? You know, there's like all these pictures and stuff. Kentaro notices the map. He's like, wait, go back. He's like, that looks like the, the big satellite map that was in Dad's office. May's like, what is it a map of? Because she doesn't recognize anything. And she's like, what's Monarch? Kate's like, she pauses. She's like, they were there in San Francisco. They're like soldiers or something. The logo was on their uniforms. And May's like, or Kentaro's like, doing what? And she's like, I don't know. It felt like the whole city was coming down. People were trapped, dying. And these guys were just taking pictures, running around like kids on a field trip, like they'd been waiting for it. So May's like, you think your father's working for them? And Kate's like, this stuff was in his safe. And Kentaro's like, that's not who he was. And then to May in Japanese, he's like, why are we even talking to her? If my father had been there, been with here with me instead of San Francisco, he'd still be alive. 
And then Kate says to him in Japanese, so he didn't know she could speak it, but she's like, but he wasn't in San Francisco on G-Day. And May's like, I thought you couldn't speak Japanese. And Kate's like, I never said that. You know, it, it was my, my dad's and my secret language. I don't speak it anymore. So Kentaro's like, you expect us to trust you now after you tricked us? She's like, I wasn't trying to trick anyone. And then he's like, what do you mean he wasn't there? So flashback, San Francisco, 2014, G-Day plus five. So five days after the movie, I guess. Kate's like, managed to get a hold of her dad on the phone. She's like, I, I've been calling you. He's like, What's, where are you? And he's like, where are you at? She's like, you know, she's like, I've been calling, calling. And she's like, I, you know, we're, we're at a camp. And he's like, where exactly? Where are you standing right now? She's like, I'm at the Red Cross tent near the north entrance. But then the call cuts. And she's like, dad? Then he runs up to her. So he was actually there. And he says that he couldn't um, get a flight because they're all grounded. He's like, is your mother okay? And she's like, yeah, we have a tent on the other side of the camp. And he's like, I, I can't stay. There's a bus. Head. And he's like, there's a bus heading out of the zone at 10 p.m. tonight. He gives her an envelope. He's like, there are passes in there for you and your mom. When you get to Reno, there's a hotel and a car reserved in your name. And she's like, Reno, you, you have to come now. Mom's been sick worrying about you. He's like, I need you to take care of your mother. And she's like, no. Her dad's like, there's something I have to do. And she's like, no. He's like, there's something I have to do. She's like, no. He's like, I'm sorry, Kate, but you are strong. You'll be all right. He's like, I'm sorry. And she's like, sorry? He's like, tell your mom I love her. I love you both. And he like leaves. She's like, dad, dad. She's calling after him. And in the present, you know, so she told this whole, the whole you know, story. Her eyes are, are teary. And then she's like, about a week after that, we got a call from the state police in Fairbanks, Alaska, saying the bush plane he was on disappeared in the storm. They never found a wreckage. So May's like, well, what are y'all going to do now? And Kentaro's like, he wasn't perfect, but he wasn't a monster. He had some reason for doing what he did. And Kate, like, shakes her head. And he's like, the answers have to be there. And she's like, good luck. I hope you find it, but nothing can justify what he did to my mother and me. And then, you know, she's, as she's kind of walking, she goes by the computer. She's like, stop, go back. So there's a picture of like someone standing in like a giant Godzilla footprint. She's like, that's my grandmother. And Kantara's like, yeah, she died when he was little. And Kate's like, why is her picture in these files? May's like, what is she standing in? So we see a close-up picture. It's, it's Kay. Kai, Kai, whatever. So cuts to her going down a rope, you know, to get the sample of the egg. Lee's went down with her. And, and, uh, <laughs> Billy's like, what do you see? And Lee's like, same as you, Billy, just closer. And he's like, thank you. Cause he's so sarcastic. She's like, there seems to be multiple sets of appendages. You know, she's kind of looking in, inside the, the things inside the glowing eggs and she's checking out one of, one of the glowing eggs. There's again, there's a lot down there. Lee kind of takes the steps and, and the, the ground cracks a little bit. And there, you can see there's like, it's hot underneath or something. And he's like, oh my God. She's like, we got to have to go. He's like, okay, forget about the timeline. We got to go. He like grabs her. And then he sees like one, of, they see one of the egg embryos. Like, it's like something that's like kind of coming out, a little critter. So scurrying out. And then several of them, for some reason, I don't know if cracking the ground, the heat or something, but several of them start like, they all start scurrying after them. They run to the ropes. He yells bull. He's like, like pull, 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 you know, Kay's rope. He's like climbing up his rope. Um, the critters start like grabbing out, they, one like grabs onto her leg and they're crawling in like, kind of like a, what was it? Um, that gen, uh, the Z, whatever. 
Uh, the Brad Pitt zombie movie it is what it reminded me of. But so, like, all the critters are, like, scurrying up, and they're, like, kind of, like, stepping on top of each other to, like, get to her. And more of them are, like, grabbing onto her. And Billy's like, I can't hold on. They're too heavy. Because they're, like, all, like on her she's like trying to get pulled up and everything lee's like on his ropes like reaching out to her he's like, like reach reach and then she gets pulled down she like falls off the rope and falls down into the, the horde of critters and that's where it ends so that's a, that's the end of the first episode and again here's the thing cliffhanger is she dead could be because we know she died when when he was little and uh yeah so um you have to wait and see what happens in episode two so, like I, I said, you know, it, it's it's such such a good job. It, it's you know watching this because with with the 2014 movie, I didn't love that movie. You know, I obviously love Godzilla and everything, but th- this is such a high quality show, and it's just it's such a production. Um, and it, it's just it's it's crazy to think that this is a TV show because it's just it's so good, and I'm I'm really excited. When I first heard about that this is kind of taking place, and it's like, well, we've kind of seen a lot. And because even like the the Godzilla sequel, I I, I didn't love that, um, or or was it the Kong movie? I don't know any any of those. I I feel like they've just been okay, even though I just have such a fondness for the the, the characters. So we'll see what happens next. Okay, and now the movie feature, Thanksgiving. <laughs> so as as I th- I think I mentioned, I I was going to do Napoleon, but. My theater, because I always, you know, get buy my tickets online, you know, get reserve my seats and all that. And my theater, it, it, I was like, okay, it's, it's if it op- opens Wednesday or because like right, I was like, shouldn't there be like Tuesday night showing? So you know, I want I want to go to preview whatever. And there's no tickets. And I was like, well, Thanksgiving opened last week, and it, it's I think it's like at an eighty three percent on Rotten Tomato or something like that. I'm like, that's crazy because it's just like a a slasher, a Thanksgiving based slasher movie i was like how can that be and i didn't read any of the reviews or i still haven't read any but i don't know why people liked it i'm now i'm really curious now i kind of want to go over maybe i'll i'll look i I pull up the wikipedia page because i usually summarize it but uh, so so the the movie it's um directed by eli roth so he did um uh like a hostel and i think he did cabin fever right and there's a weird thing. It's like, I didn't hear anything about this movie. I knew nothing about it up until like right before I'm like, Thanksgiving, what's that? And when I saw the trailer, I'm like, is, is, is this serious? Is this a joke? Is this really happening? I was like, we're, we're having a slasher movie. That's ba- it's, a, it's a Thanksgiving themed slasher movie. And I'm like, I don't know if that's brilliant or if that's kind of silly or desperate almost. But at the same time, it's like, why don't we have, why not a Thanksgiving-based slasher movie? You know, we have so many other things. Obviously, we have Halloween, which is, you know, that, that seems like, you know, a perfect fit. And I'm, I, I'm feeling like we've had an Easter-based one just because I've seen, like, creepy Easter bunnies. But maybe we haven't. So it, it just, it makes sense. Why not? Um, now, the movie, I'm looking at it, I'm like, who is in this movie? I don't know anyone in this movie. But it turns out, then I'm like, is that Patrick Dempsey? That's that's is that him? Because I didn't look at the credits. I'm like, is the wait is that him? I didn't recognize that for what what it is him, and so he's in there, um, and also Gina Gershon's in there. They're probably like the biggest names in here. I don't know any of the other ones. There's like a bunch of kids because it's like you know high school. It's a slasher movie type thing. I'm like, who are all these 
these kids are am i supposed to know who who they are um one of them addison ray i don't know anything the name vaguely sounds familiar so looking up apparently she's an american singer actress dancer and social media personality in 2019 Ray rose to prominence on the video sharing app TikTok. She has amassed over 88 million followers, making her the most or the fourth most followed individual on the platform. I'm wondering if she was on ridiculousness because, you know, sometimes they bring in like guests out there because I don't know who she is. But I mean, that that's you know, good for her, you know, for building up her, her, her following and, and starring in a movie. <laughs> so the... <laughs> The movie, I, I really, I don't know how I feel about the movie. So overall, let me just say before I get into things, I do, I did like, I did like the movie for the most part. They did a good job, and, you know, because to me it felt like it was a smaller based um, like horror movie. Because even though at first I'm looking, it's like you you have this movie without a bunch of big stars, but you know, I, Patrick Dempsey, he's a star. You can't buy me love. You know, come on. And what he was in that, wasn't he in that show, Grey's Anatomy? I'm joking, of course he was. So I like the fact that most of the kids, and for me, I didn't know who they were. Because I, I feel like if you would have had like some other stars, it would be distracting from the idea of the movie. You know, I don't want, and but apparently, <laughs> you know, what's her name? Addison Ray is super popular. I'm not, my head's in the cloud. I don't know any, what's going on. But I, I like the fact that, it wasn't, at least for me, because I feel like it would be distracting if, if there was like, and see, this. I guess this is totally the defeats or Oga's against, because if 88 million people are following her, 88 million people know who she is. Uh, but for me, it, I, I liked it. It was for, it was seemed like a bunch of unknowns. And, you know, watching this movie. So they're all kind of like equal footing. And, you know, you're, who's going to survive? Who, because if you have someone that's like super famous and they're in a horror movie, it's like, okay, well, Unless they're they're doing like a scream cameo thing where they want to get killed for you know whatever reasons, I'm like if 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 they're if you have a big star in a horror movie, they're probably going to survive or going to last longer. Now, what is the, the premise of the movie? So I, I guess I'll spoil. I'll kind of spoil the intro a little bit. Whatever. It's it's when I, you watch this movie, it's it's a little not really hard to watch. But it comes down to this dude owns like this big shop mart or save mart or something like that. It's this big store. And he, right, what's it called? Right mart? Save mart, right? Anyways, he's, he, they're going to be open Thanksgiving Day because it, now it turns out Black Friday actually starts on Thursday. And, you know, he's, he calls this other dude and he's like, like, Oh, yep. You, you got to go in, you know, and everything like that. Cause this other guy calls him sick, but he's of course the owner, he's sitting at home in his, his big mansion or whatever. And, you know, he doesn't have to worry about going in. All these people are like, this is where it's, it's a little ridiculous. There's so many people there. There's so there's like barricades and they have like two security guards and they're like, Oh, you know, they're waiting for the store to open. Cause I think they wanted like these waffle irons and, and whatever other stuff like that. And you can feel like the tension cause they're just so excited about getting into the store and they're like, we're not open for 10 minutes. You know, they're, they're getting everything ready inside. But then the daughter of the store owner she like goes out with her boyfriend and like friends they're going to where, where were they going to i think they're going to go into the movie 
but one of the 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 and the kids like a, her boyfriend's a baseball player and the others they I think they're like football players or like jocks or whatever and they're with their you know they all have girlfriends they're all paired up. But the, the one of the the jocks, he's like, oh, I need a new phone because he got in this fight and his phone broke or something like that. So they want to stop by because then when they see the, all the stores open, everything like that. And because she's a daughter of the owner, you know, she can get them past the line and stuff like that. And that some people see that, and there's like a little tension. There's a little bit more to it. So what, whatever. And basically, pandemonium, barricades, you know, get knocked down. They're at the door, you know, they're like, lock the doors because, you know, they're not ready. And then it, it just it just escalates. And then when they finally get in, it's just it's brutal because the, the the guy opening door, he gets like the, the, the door actually busts and he gets it falls on top of him. And of course, they just like stomp on there because you know, this it's it's absurd, but it's almost like realistic because I'm sure people are like this. And then it's just like chaos. And you got people fighting over stuff. And and oh, spoiler one guy as he's walking in you know they're, they're plowing through this this because it's just like the you know two doors that are open and the, but it's since like the the, the frame kind of and the glass just kind of shattered as he like walks in a piece of glass sticking out from the edge hits his throat like just perfectly and he's like he gets cut in the neck in a, the jugular part but he of course he still wants a shop he wants to get his, his waffle iron or whatever it was and he, that's not gonna be good and it's just like all this other stuff happens and um i I won't spoil other things like that but it's just it gets bad and people are just like just like they're like animals and you know you see all this like video footage and stuff like that and people are getting hurt people are like main people are are dying and it's it's just it's it's crazy so then it cuts to like a year later and they're like, wait, the store is still going to be open and everything like that. And, you know, apparently there you see some newspaper articles, you know, there's no arrests. The video footage somehow, the, the security cameras weren't working. The manager guy that came in because uh, something, someone close to him, something happened. Oh, I won't spoil that. And so that, there's your motive. So there's going to be a killer coming to town because of all the deaths that happened. Who's to blame for this? Is it the store owners? And then, you know, there's that the kids kind of get pulled into it because they were in the store, you know, you get the phone and of course the, the, the jocks are being obnoxious and everything like that. They're okay. So there was this, some kids from another school, rival school that they got in a fight into. They're at the front of the barricades. And then they kind of see them like the one kid like holds up his box with the phone in there and they're like, why are they in there? And it's like that. And so that's where some of the tension comes up. And uh, so someone is taking this very personally because there's no arrest. You know, all the footage was mysteriously disappeared and he's going to go around trying to kill everyone involved. So it's probably gonna be like the store owner, his, his new w- w- wife, um, the, all the kids that were there and, and any of their friends and stuff like that. So there's your, your motive there. But then the big thing is, is like, who could it be? And what they do, they do a good. Oh, so. Because this is taking place in Plymouth, Massachusetts, there's this John Carver dude who's like kind of like the town mascot, and they they've made all these like plastic masks, you know, to kind of celebrate this guy, you know, historical first. He was like the first pilgrim or first something or whatever. If he, I don't know if he's a, I think he's a real person. So the killer is going to be wearing that, and the part of the thing is like everyone's wearing these masks, you know, because they're they're like giving them away and stuff like that. So you're you're not really sure who the killer could be. 
But then as, as it goes by, there's a couple things you're kind of wondering. It's like, could it be this person? Could it be this? You know, who who's really the killer? Because then it, it gets to almost a point. It's like, well, who can you trust? You know, these people, is it someone close to our main character? You know, that wouldn't make sense. And, uh, it, it, it kind of goes from there. So as far as the deaths go, you know, some of them are like your typical slasher deaths and some of them are, are a little creative and you know, there's some gruesome stuff. There's some like one, one person, like their head gets impaled and there's like all this blood gushing. It's like, I don't think there's that much blood in, in a, in a head to be like just pouring out of this big, massive thing that just jammed through their head. But it's, um, there's some, some interesting deaths in, in there and, uh, you know, of, of course, the kids like the, the cops aren't doing anything and we got to take matters in our own hand and they're trying to survive. So a lot of it, it's um, it's very typical formulaic type of thing. But I think they, they they somehow do a good enough job to make it feel kind of um, fresh or whatever. And uh, it, it just it just kind of works. So let's see. Box office as this okay. So this is a little outdated. As of November nineteenth, it grossed ten point two million in the United States and Canada, two point four in other territories for a worldwide total of twelve point six million. Um, the budget was fifteen million, so it made its budget. But of course, you know they say it's got to make three times as much to be profitable. But um, I'm sure with Thanksgiving, you know this Thanksgiving weekend. Because you know that was that was the first weekend, so it'll probably pick up some more. I'm sure people are going to go see it. Whatever. Oh, so this says after director Eli Roth created a fake movie trailer Thanksgiving for the film Grindhouse, plans for a feature length adaptation began. So this was back in that was a while ago, 2007. Critical response. Okay, so on Rotten Tomatoes, this might be outdated. 83% of 86 critics reviews are positive. Um, the consensus reads, combining belly-busting humor with delightfully over-the-top gore, Thanksgiving is a feast for Grindhouse fans. Metacritic has at a 63 out of 100, based off 28 critics, indicating generally favorable reviews. Um, Cinema score, which I haven't seen that listed, was a B minus, um, an average grade of a B minus and an A plus to F scale. Owen Gleiberman of Variety wrote, Thanksgiving follows the rules of the slasher genre, but it's got a more charge and entertainingly hyperbolic atmosphere than these movies used to have. Frank Sheck ended his review. There are times you can feel Thanksgiving straining too mightily for cult status. It's not likely to achieve. So that's where, I, yeah, I, I totally agree with that. It's like trying, I don't know. I mean, it's the, right now it's the only Thanksgiving slasher movie, so I'm sure... There, the idea is like, oh, hey, let's get a bunch of friends over. Let's watch the Thanksgiving slasher movie. But it's just, it's not quite there. San Francisco Chronicles G. Allen Johnson gave the film a score of one out of four. Thanksgiving could have been a great horror movie. Instead, it's one of those where if you've seen the trailer, you've seen the film. Wah, wah, wah. Um, I would say there's there's like maybe like ten to fifteen percent of of the stuff that movie that bothered me. There's some like minor things. I'm just like, really, like come on. But I I mean overall for a slasher movie and for a, a somewhat newer 
you know, entry because, you know, we have so many, like, here's another Saw movie, here's another Halloween movie, here's another this, and here's another that. So I, I, I can applaud it for being a little more original, even though, you know, like I said, a lot of the elements, it's, <laughs> there's, not a, there's not a whole lot of originality because there, you can't. These, you know, you have a killer, he wants revenge for something, and he's going to go out and try to kill everyone. But it's just a matter of how that's where the creativity comes in and how you do the, the, the murders or the, the killings and, you know, to make it different than stuff that you've seen in all the million Halloween and Friday 13th movies and stuff like that. So it's a, it's if you're into horror movies, it's, it's a it's a fun, decent movie. So it's not great. It's definitely way better than I thought, because when I first like I said, when I heard it, I was like, this is a joke. And I was like, I don't know if I'm going to see that. But then I saw the reviews. And I'm like, really? I maybe I would have liked this more than Napoleon. Hey, I blame. It's not my fault that I lucked out. And maybe I'm sure I'll see Napoleon at some point. I'm sure it's going to be an amazing movie. You know, Joaquin Phoenix is awesome. Um, Ridley Scott is is amazing. He's great. But I just. I, I just the old tiny stuff. Sometimes it's just a little. I don't want to go to movies for a history lesson. And I, I think I mentioned this last week because, like, how accurate is it? Is this because I feel like a lot of people are going to go and saying, "Oh, this is this is the story of Napoleon." That's really he did that. He and it's like really is it true? Is it not true? I don't know. I feel like you know there should be like footnotes during the movie somehow to tell us like oh, this is embellished a little bit. So there you go. That is a. <laughs> that is going to be the movie feature. There's nothing else more to say. It, it was it was a fun movie, unless you you know if you hate slasher movies, you're not going to see it. But it was uh, I was I was surprised and you know I, I was I was entertained. I was satisfied with what they did. Hopefully, you are satisfied with this episode because that is going to be the podcast for this week. So big shout out to Dave McPhail and Andrew Loken. They are big supporters of the show. You can be a supporter by going to patreon.com slash gmanfromheck. Any amount you can commit to will be awesome. If you commit at the Rick Jones tier or higher, you get access to the secret podcast from Heck, which is an additional 30 minutes of podcast entertainment every single week. And um, I'm, pr- I'm probably still going to do another episode, another issue of X-Men The Hidden Years, John Byrne. Um, I, I'm, I'm, I got to do something else. I, I got to think of what else I want to do. And uh, if you have any thoughts, let me know. But if you can't commit to a monthly commitment, you can also help out by going to coffee.com slash gmanfromheck. You can buy me a virtual cup of coffee or two. That's ko-fi.com slash gmanfromheck. What is going to be next week? Uh, I think this is going to be Silent Night. So when I, when I saw this, I was like, Silent Night? Who's It's... <laughs> I saw the trailer. This is another movie. I saw the trailer. I think when I saw The Marsh King's Daughter, I, had, I hadn't heard anything about this. But I was like, oh, Joel Kinnaman. I, I like Joel Kinnaman. You know, he, he, he does a lot of good, like, you know, smaller movies. He does, obviously, does big, big stuff too. Uh, and, and John Woo's friggin' directing it. I'm like, what? When was the last time I saw a John Woo movie? So that, that looks interesting. Look up the, the trailer. And I was like, wait, wasn't that the movie from David Harbour? But that was Violent Night. That was, but the real Santa's, <laughs> that's a movie you should see too. Silent Night basically is this, this dude, his family gets killed in a drive-by and he wants, it's a revenge movie. But uh, it, it's, so it'll be a matter of how creative they can, can, can they be. And with John Woo and just based off the trailer, it looks like it's going to be 
over the top fun, which is exactly what you would want from something like that. Um, and then, of course, you know, we probably more, you know, all the other stuff. I, I think there's there's still Doom Patrol, yeah, um, Rick and Morty, Scott Pilgrim, all that stuff. And so that is gonna be it. So I hope you are doing well. If you celebrate Thanksgiving, I hope you had a great Thanksgiving. I hope you had a good time off. If you had time off at work, hopefully you did. If you went shopping, I hope you got some good deals. Um, but I hope you are taking care of yourself. I hope you're taking care of others. hope you're having fun in your life. And I hope you remember to be good to each other.